Good evening, everybody. It's February 27th at seven o'clock. And this is, uh, we're going to call the, the meeting of the Warren Committee to order um, by a roll call vote. People present here. Emily McCabe present. Ed Rizzola present. Steve Gallian present. Brent Nelson present. Pete Salvino present. Okay, so we have a quorum. And we have, uh, unfortunately, we have four members who are unable to, to be with us tonight, but we do have a quorum. So we will proceed with our agenda. Um, Frank, I don't know if you can present the agenda. Uh, while he's doing that, uh, just disclose that this meeting is being recorded, will be made available on Warren Committee website as usual. Uh, one of the first items on the agenda is the approval of the February 13th meeting minutes. And uh, unfortunately, Beth was unable to get those uh, drafted up, so we'll defer those until our next meeting. And once Frank um, pulls up the, uh, the calendar, uh, do you want me to do it? Or? Oh, no, no, no. Oh, okay. So take, take a little bit of time just to walk through uh, what's coming up because we're, after today, we're moving into a long discussion about all the other articles besides the operating budget. And so we've <clears throat> invited, I've set up meetings with Chris. People to attend our meetings and particular days of work and inform us of uh, certain artifacts. Uh, so I'll walk through that with you as soon as we get it up. I mean, tonight's agenda. Um, really just covers um, the school operating budget, as well as uh, a discussion of Article 14, the creation of a special ed reserve fund. And then we will get a, um, a uh, discussion in education on an article for the MBTA zoning that will happen. And, um, and a quick uh, capital budget committee update and that's some informational items and that's it the majority of the meeting will be pretty much the operating budget for the schools and article 14 as well as the mbta you are you going to pull up the calendar or my calendar uh yeah i'm going to do um I have to pull up a couple different things because I'm going to pull up Jeff's in <clears throat> Google Slides so he can advance. So then I have to pull up the the packet separately. Sorry. Anybody know where the packet is on for the meeting? It's actually on the on the Warren Committee website over on the left. You click on Warren Committee packet. Hmm. Yeah, we're looking for uh, our meeting material. <clears throat> Let's 
Okay. Uh, advance two slides. Great. Okay. So this is um, the updated calendar with really just uh, what we're going to cover. None of the meeting dates changed. It's just what we're going to cover in each meeting. We've now uh, confirmed appointments with people and sort of set out uh, sort of a, a timeline of when we're going to talk about various articles. So tonight, we covered tonight. So our next meeting is March 12th. And the goal of that meeting is to get through all the financial articles besides the operating budget, right? There's a lot of most there's a lot of financial articles that we'll, we'll get through. <clears throat> uh, the Conservation Commission, Deb Barrow, has confirmed that she's going to attend that meeting and go through their operating budget uh, requests, as well as discuss certain articles that are on the warrant that they're sponsoring. And then uh, we'll also have the Park and Rec Department and uh, Katie and Mel will be joining us and they will talk about their new uh, art of the article to create a departmental revolver file. And then on the 19th, and we're back here at this, this building and uh, <clears throat> we have some general articles of the, the town moderator term, zoning uh, enforcement fees, and we will also talk about the dog bylaw. Um, and we'll have the chair of that, uh, Jill, I forget her last name, Jill, uh, the chair of that, that subcommittee uh, attend our meeting and give us an update on the, uh, the effort that that committee went through, the meetings, the hearings, uh, the conclusions they reached. Um, and so we'll hear about the dog bylaw that night. We'll also, uh, um, there's some, some housekeeping things that are going to take place uh, related to the select board name change. And then on the 19th, we will have Jean Minio in to talk about the citizens petition for the Metro State Hospital Chapel property. Uh, and also um, attending that meeting will be uh, a council, legal council, who will also give us an update on the uh, some of the issues associated with that article. And then um, on April 2nd is our public hearing. Uh, <clears throat> so those people who are new to the committee, this is this is the, uh, the required hearing 30 days out from, uh, from town meeting where um, we go through every article and, and take public comments. Um, and uh, at the end of that, meeting um that meeting starts at 7 30 and at the end of that meeting because the select board attend that meeting we've asked them to uh to stick around for our meeting and we'd like to hear from them on two articles one related to the Hinkley north disposition authority and the uh metro state hospital chapel right. um, they can't attend the 19th but they're gonna they're gonna uh, uh provide their commentary to us on the second. Um, and then on the ninth, we have um, the final version of the MBTA zoning warrant article uh, that <clears throat> we will take up. You're gonna hear tonight, it's just the, it's sort of the 101 version of that, that topic. They don't have the final version yet. 
They've been working on it for a long time, but they have two hearings coming up, and right after those hearings, they're going to come to us with their final, the final uh, proposal for that warrant article. And then uh, we have to vote on everything because on the tenth they're going to print the warrant. Wow. Okay. So that's kind of the the time. What do you guys think about that? Is that the um, the doable? Absolutely. Whatever it takes, Steve. <laughs> we do. We do have to have a town meeting and operate the town, so we got to vote on stuff. Um, and so, so that's that's the plan. You know, there's, there, we don't have um, meetings scheduled after then, but if we do need another meeting, we could we could be up to be heard in the warrant mm -hmm. and. And then have another meeting between the tenth and the sixth, uh, if we needed to. There's always one or two articles where we can't reach a, a consensus on or a vote, final vote. So, all right. So that is um, that's that. Okay. So tonight um, we have with us um, Dr. Marsden, Superintendent Michelle Kirkby. On the school committee. Thank you both for joining us. Uh, and they're going to take us through um, the operating budget for the school department. Thank you, Steve. Uh, and I appreciate the um, flexibility that the Warren Committee had after that um, terrible snowstorm we had a couple of weeks ago that we had to cancel everything. Mm -hmm. um, reason number 500 why I don't like to call school night four, but it got to a point where um, so many neighbor, uh, neighboring communities were calling that uh, we wouldn't have staff in the school if we had school that day. So we, um, thank you, yeah, I appreciate it. Um, so we ended up having to cancel that day, but that was not one of our best moments, for sure. <laughs> Made the seniors happy, that's about it. Um, so thank you again for having us tonight. Um, I'm gonna go through the FY25 budget and, and go through some of the, um, some of the, the pieces that we went through in the public hearing and then um, working with Emily and Ed and Michelle. Um, Ed has some uh, some spreadsheets and schedules that he wants to go through as well. So um, we'll go we'll hit that uh, as we go through. So one of the things that uh, we did recently in the past year since we've been in front of you uh, the last time is we went through a strategic plan process, the entire uh, district, and we rewrote our um, our mission statement, which we're really proud of. and. Uh, it, this was part of not only developing a mission statement, but a five-year strategic plan, um, establishing core values for our district, and uh, looking at a vision statement. So we we spent we had over 20 people on a committee it was parents and, and students and teachers and school committee members uh, and administrators, and we worked with a consultant over several months to get this plan uh, put together. And the mission statement was certainly one of our positive outgrowths of the plan. Um, so looking at uh, what we've done so far and what our process is. So the school committee each year establishes a budget uh, timeline for us and we go through that process uh, earlier in the fall. And then the leadership team meets and establishes priorities on the budget. Uh, the principals, directors, department chairs, they all develop their budgets and then they meet with Michael LaFrancesca and I. Uh, we had 21 meetings this year. Um, we sit down and review their requests um, and we, we review their input. Um, and then we need to develop the FY25 initial budget, which typically happens in December. Um, in December, that first meeting is our initial draft, and we go through that. 
Um, and then we do um, our budget hearing at the end of January each year. So that's kind of where we're at right now. The number that, that we have um, on this presentation is still uh, the number that we had that night. We haven't changed it based on your guidance yet because we haven't had a meeting to, to vote on that and, and school committee to look at uh, potential budget cuts. So that will, that will come in the beginning of March. Um, some of the assumptions that we made going through this development of the budget that our federal entitlement grants will be level funded, that chapter 70 will be slightly increased. Uh, chapter 70 is always a frustration point for Medfield. Uh, we are a hold harmless district, which means that we typically just get 30 to $30 uh, more per student. Um, other districts get a lot more than we do, but there's 214 districts this year that are held harmless. Um, we are one of them. So the first pass, the governor's budget, we have $30 more per student. Uh, which equals anywhere between 60, dollars to $70,000 this year. Um, continuation to potential reduction of our full day kindergarten tuition. So one of the things that we're going to be looking at is um, a three-year transition into a uh, full day kindergarten program that does not have tuition. Right now, parents pay $3,500 a year for full day kindergarten. And we're looking at reducing that tuition to $2,750 for next year, and then slowly phasing that out over a three-year period. And then circuit breaker, which is our reimbursement for special education, um, will be funded at 75%. And that's what it was last year as well. So that's the assumption we made during this process. Um, our budget drivers are pretty typical. I think every school district, their um, 80 plus percent of their budget is CBA agreements and contracts as people. Uh, we're in year four of our current contract with Conley and Excel Collaborative for special education transportation. Um, certainly you'll see as we go through out of district placements um, and in district positions for special ed, our drivers, um, professional development, technology continue to be drivers um, as we go through as well. So what do we want to do um, as far as our strategic initiatives in our FY25 budget? We certainly want to maintain our current staffing, uh, continue academic excellence, rigor, and opportunities for our students, um, transitioning to the full day kindergarten for all students at no cost. Um, funding professional development around culture, responsive instruction, restorative practices in literacy instruction, um, recommendations for increases to special education staffing, implement, implementing uh, communication audit review recommendations, and then supporting the budget capital capital budget needs that we have in our district. Um, so all those appear in our strategic plan and all supported by the FY25 budget. So kind of look at our funding sources. This is FY24, our, our current school year. So our chapter 78, the aid that is earmarked from the state um, that goes directly to the town earmarked for education, 6.5 million. The local contribution is 34 million. And then other, which is our grants, tuitions and fees uh, is over $5 million, 5.3 in this current school year. Um, so as I always talk about in this presentation, although our budget's 41 million, it really, it really costs 46 to run it as you see it today. And then always want to remind people that the town also has to contribute to Tri-County and Norfolk Aggie as part of their education expense. So looking at funding outside our operating budget for FY25, this is projected. Um, state and federal grants, the biggest one is a 240 grant or 91142, which are a special education grant. Um, so we're looking at $700, 700000 there. Um, our tuitions, you'll see, go down. We have 653000 projected for next year. Um, in this current year, we're at 724000 That is the decrease in full-day kindergarten um, tuition. School lunch at $1 million. So you're asking, why is school lunch at $1 million if all the kids get free lunch these, these days? So although we, we have, don't have the cost to purchase um, lunch anymore, 
Uh, we still have costs that are for employees, but the federal government is reimbursing us for all of the lunches that we serve as long as they uh, meet the requirements. So we're anticipating around a million dollars of reimbursement going into the school lunch program, which we've really started to look at um, doing capital expenses in our in our uh, cafeterias. We have old ovens, old dishwashers, old everything. So really trying to upgrade capital with that money that's coming in from the federal government. Our athletic fees, these are the fees we charge our kids to, to play sports at $300,000. Um, undistributed re receipts, this is things like um, parking fees for high school and other things that $310,000 we're projecting. Um, private gifts and grants, that's our MCPE, our PTOs, uh, which are accepted in by the school committee. And then circuit breaker, $730,000 is our anticipated um, allotment for that for, for funding outside. And I think it's important to, to remind the Warren Committee that we, we have 59.4 FTEs funded outside the operational budget. So if you take a look at other town departments, you could probably fit a couple of town departments in there um, that are funded on an operating budget that we fund outside the operating budget through those grants and tuitions. Um, some of the revenue that we have generated for the town, um, Medicaid reimbursement, although that's a small number in that time frame, we've, we've actually got a lot more than that, which I know that Christine will be talking about as we look at the um, special education um, stabilization fund. Um, FY23 and FY24, excuse me, 22 and 23 turnbacks, 163,000, and then technology reimbursement, 109,000. So that's just, you know, we work together great as a town and we work really well with the town. And um, it's important for us to be on the same team and not do a money grab uh, each year. So we, we look at that um, holistically and, and want to support what the town does as well. So looking at the area of uh, career people expenditures, so this is really an apples to apples comparison of where we stand with other districts. So if you look at around 20,000 is the state average. So we're below state average in per people expenditure and just looking at some of the um, surrounding communities. So this is all the money spent in education minus transportation. And you'll get a sense of what other places are spending. Um, and we've, we've come a long way in that. We were a lot lower before. Um, but certainly the town has um, supported us in the last five to six years with that. It's a price to see us below Millis. Yeah. Yeah, Millis, is, and Millis was a lot lower before, and they've, they've really uh, increased their, their spending. So this, this analysis, now I know that in your materials, you have all of the analysis in terms of um, actuals and um, looking at every single line item over the last four years or so. And uh, we got some feedback from Steve on the presentation. So I think next year, what we'll do when we get to slides like this, we'll we'll just make sure that the actuals, the budget, and the request are all in there instead of just the change one. Um, I know you guys have that information, but it probably makes a lot more sense to put it in. So we'll absolutely do that for you guys. Thank you. Um, so looking at student services and looking at our budget areas, student services, direct services, and policy administration. You'll see that student services is a big driver in this FY25 budget with an increase of 16.2%, um, most of those being almost $500,000 in outside placements for special education. Uh, but with district services and policy administration at 3.7 and 5.7, we'll break those down um, as we go through the slides. So looking at our sheet here, it's covered. Um, looking at our student services, um, you'll see, and again, some of these, when you look at them down here, you say, well, this doesn't really make sense or doesn't fit. 
we have to organize our budgets by DESI. DESI tells us what we have to do, and it's all based on the end of the year report. So they tell us how to do that. So sometimes you see things that don't really make a lot of sense, but we have to organize it in that way. Um, you'll see that district-wide staff and special education, certainly a driver, you know, 1.2 million, um, but so is in our district tuition and our transportation. So those are our areas that um, we, we typically do a really good job with um, our out of district tuitions and making sure that we develop programs for kids. And we've done that all along, but we've had a few circumstances over the last six to eight months that um, require students to have services outside of, of, of Medfield. Um, and there's obviously a cost that, that comes with that. Um, our district services, so looking at district-wide staff, maintenance, research and development, which is a professional development piece that we do with teachers in the summertime. Um, PD course reimbursement is money that teachers get uh, when they start to take courses and that's all contractual. Um, and then, you know, custodial expenses, supplies, equipment, et cetera. So that in a general education uh, transportation is 1.6 million. So those yellow buses you see every day uh, going through our, our district, 1.6 million for next year. Uh, looking at the policy administration, again, organized by DESE, uh, that's how we have to do it. So central office staff, uh, general reserve is money put aside for all union, all non-union staff and their increases each year. Um, office and support staff are legal. Uh, we belong to two um, tech and accept uh, collaboratives that um, help us out with services with special education and also professional development and purchasing. Uh, so we belong to those as well. And then it's weird that textbooks fall under this. So um, again, that's all organized. Thank you, Frank. Yeah. Organized by the way DESE has us do that, but it increased at 5.7%. So we look at, at budgets by school. Maybe, yeah. It's not moving. As we know, um, if 80% plus our, our budgets are, are tied directly to staff, then you'll see that, there it is, thank you. You'll see that the um, increases by school are all tied to staff members. For instance, we don't like Blake Middle School more than we like, we don't like a high school more than Blake Middle School. We just have some retirements in Blake Middle School. So that brings the percentage change down. So when you retire from the teacher schedule, um, you're at a higher level, a higher level of pay, and we usually replace you with someone at a lower level of pay. So you'll see that we have retirements in both Memorial and Blake that are driving uh, the lower increases in those two buildings. But those are pretty much all tied to staff. Um, and one of the things that I do in the public hearing is talk about how teachers get paid in the different ways. Um, we have a collective bargaining agreement, and then there's also uh, steps and lanes where teachers get a, a step for an increase in year, they'll get a lane horizontally. Um, if they increase their education, there's also longevity payments and those types of things. So all those add up to um, the increases that you'll see here. So we broke these down, um, each, each building, this is Memorial First by Unit A. So Unit A is our teachers, Unit B is our teaching assistants, and then all other staff is here. So principal office uh, at Memorial will be the principal um, and the two secretaries in that office. Um, and then the non-payroll expenses here. Again, the increase is at 2.8%. Wheelock School, very similar size school, but they don't have um, a retirement there. You can see Unit A staff, Unit B staff, other. Same thing with Dale Street School, similar size school with staffing. And now Blake and the high school have a lot more staffing. 
So you'll see the unit A staff for Blake at 7 million, almost 3 million more than what it was at Dale Street, but they have more staffing there. Principal's office there is principal, assistant principal, and secretaries. Um, and then payroll and supplies, I mean, excuse me, non-payroll, your supplies, equipment, utilities, et cetera. And you'll start to see the utilities at, at Blake in the high school be a lot more than what an elementary school spent. High school, unit A staff, even more staff at the high school, um, 8.5 million for there, 337 for unit B staff. And you'll start to see the utilities here at 440,000. That school is used constantly, as you know, and drive by there, there's always something going on. Um, so utilities are a lot higher there. So total overall budget, uh, 43,183,072 with an increase of over 2 million or a 4.87% increase, which is the same number that we had in our public hearing. However, um, we are, Michael and I are uh, prepared to present to the school committee um, options to cut the budget to get it down to what you folks want at the 4.7. So we, we're going to present that to the school committee on March 7th. Um, they can either accept our recommendations or they can keep it at 4.87. Um, but I think that you know, we'll make a pretty good case why it should be at 4.7 based on your recommendations. Yeah, um, so got my email, right? Did you get my email? Oh, yeah. I did. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. So what does a 4.8% increase do for us? Maintains our current staff and programs. Um, it does fund our obligations, the collective bargaining agreements. So we have five of those. Um, teacher unit A, teacher assistant unit B, administrative assistants, custodians, and food service. Um, adds two FTEs. Um, and we, we did add one and a half um, FTEs in FY24 after annual town meeting due to students' needs. So situations come up with special education that we need to add them. Uh, into the into the in you know one of the things that we talk about is well how did you do that after you know after you do after you know town meeting you had your set budget you had your staffing well sometimes when um, we make projections on where a teacher is going to be like a teacher will say I think I'm going to be at um, masters plus forty five but I'm not sure and then sometimes they don't they don't get that they don't attain, attain the education that they thought they would get they're one class short. So that's additional monies that are in the in the budget that we use to, to fund those positions. Um, increases the supplies by 35,000, um, increases our transportation, out of district tuition, which is a big one there, you'll see with a huge driver for us this year at 459, and then technology equipment by 27,000. And here's the breakdown. So here's the increased breakdown. So teachers, steps, lanes, percent increase in longevity, 994,000. Um, teaching assistance increases, 43,000. So the 0.5 athletic director and these two positions were in the ESSER grant. So they are now in the operating budget. Um, so those were paid by a grant last year. Education team leader is a new one. So that's an interesting one. So we were planning on, all of us, I think, we're planning on opening a new building at the Wheelock site in, in September 24, which would be FY25. So we did not add these positions the last couple of years, the, the ed, ed team leader, which is special education position, um, because we assume they're going to be on the same um, campus and work together. But it's just kind of untenable now that someone's going back and forth to Dale and, and we, it's just not working. So um, we wanted to add that position uh, 0.5 in there. Um, and then staff not in unit A or B. So that's everyone else that's not a teacher or assistant, everyone else in the district, um, you know, over 400 employees. Um, their increases equal to 262. 
And then there's the special education tuitions again, which uh, is a big driver for us. And then the supplies uh, of the district services, the tech and equipment, transportation, and supplies and services. So out of those 21 meetings, there were positions that were asked for by either principals or by department chairs. So these are the positions that did not make it into the FY25 budget, that, but that were requested. So we don't just kind of look at everything and put it all in there. These were ones that are really important and we had to make some real hard decisions on some of these. Um, so the adjustment counselor at Dale Street is something that we would really love to have, uh, but it did not make it there. And that was after a lot of conversations with the principal uh, in the student services department. Uh, Dale Street also looking for a math specialist um, to, to work with, with students. Um, a, point, a point 0.5 ETL, which is the educational leader, which we where we added in the budget for Wheelock um, at Memorial School. Behavior therapist at Memorial. Um, Blake was looking for a full-time building sub. Some of them just came every day and we just plug them in uh, where they're needed. Uh, a point 0.2 math specialist at Blake. We already have a point 0.7 working there. This would make the person closer to full-time, but we did not add that. Um, a point 0.4 wellness teacher, which was kind of the budget a couple of years ago. High school asked that be put back in the budget. We did not put it in. And then a 0.5 administrative assistant um, in central office, um, Christine Power, who's our director of instruction and innovation. Um, when that position was first, before she took it, there was always a full-time secretary. And over the last 10 years, that's been cut. Um, so, so we think that would be a really good job, a really good position to put back in for, for Christine and support her in that role. Um, but we did not end up putting that in the budget. So those were some of the positions that um, principals and department chairs felt were really important for next year, but did not make the FY25. Um, and that's just something that every classroom in the district, every room in the district has this now, uh, which outlines our, our mission, vision, core values, and our priorities and strategies and our strategic plan, uh, which was, again, as I started with, a really important part of what we did last year. I know Ed wants to uh, transition into some of these schedules. Okay. He wants to... Sure, we can do that. Just the top one. Just the red one, yeah. Is that a word? Close. There it is. That's the pass. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's right over there. Oh, okay. Very good. <laughs> okay, I, I uh, want to first begin by thanking Dr. Madison and Mike LaFrancesca for working with me for, for many hours and putting up with all my questions for a whole bunch of uh, several meetings at least. Um, but I am I'm thankful I couldn't have got any of these schedules done without uh, their assistance. So uh, let me get into this. This is a, a, a different cut on payroll that uh, I wanted to take because it, you know, you can break it into its pieces. The total payroll is going, you can see a million three ninety one, 4%. And that's consistent with, you know, you look at prior years, up two and a half, three and a half, down one, up four, three. But 4% is generally above where it comes in or a little bit higher. When you get up to the teacher's steps and lanes, you're going up 4.3%, up a million one from last year's budget. And that kind of makes sense in terms of percent because you figure almost half the people are getting 2% because they're a top step. The other half of the people are still on their uh, uh, steps and getting a 4% step plus cost of living, which averages out to six. Does everyone know how that works with the teachers? You know how that, okay. So yeah. it's that they get every year they get a step and then they can go horizontal. 
That's that's yeah. how that works. Okay. And so the weighted average is usually in that four, four and a half percent. And then I just wanted to break out there's the paris going up 3.9%, 7%. All of these, as the superintendent said, are all driven by their collective buying agreement. There's all the other staff, the uh, all, all the secretaries and the administrative people, et cetera, going up 3.4%, broke out longevity, broke out stipends, substitutes, and overtime. So there are many, many components in when you when you, when you look at it by piece, adding up to that million three ninety-one four percent. When you get down here, you look at the headcount by uh, by year, and it's interesting. You can see where where we are over the years in terms of headcount, and it's basically only four four different down four people since two thousand and twenty. You look at it. When we look at the increases here by teachers and assistants, they're offset. And I'm going to go to the next schedule and get into this a little more deeply. But the bottom of this schedule isn't showing up. And the bottom of the schedule, I'll get cut off. I didn't realize no, sorry, that. No, sorry, uh, shows going up 7.8 people. Four of, four of that 7.8 are in the cafeteria. There's still food service people to handle the volume. So that means three people are going up uh, in total. So if we can go to the next slide, how do we, how do we advance that? You should, oh, that's, that's not it. Um, can we go back? Uh, where is the next one? Maybe the non-payroll. Maybe non-payroll. Non-payroll expenses. It says, oh, the FTD reconciliation. Oh, FTD reconciliation. Yeah, that's the one that you're going to put in, Jeff. Did you put the wrong one in? Put the yeah. wrong one in. Okay, I, well, um, I sent everybody a copy in the email, yeah. but I do have some handouts here. That... I told you I was on Michael's spreadsheet, said. <laughs> and I took the wrong one. <laughs> My apologies. There you go. Oh, thank you. So I'm kind of um, anal about this, thing, but I, I, we, we needed to better understand it. Thank you very much. Format for this. Uh, so when Dr. Myerson said we have to hire some people this year in 24 to accommodate some of the uh, students that moved in and their needs, you can look on the upper left there. It says during fiscal year 2024, we added that one special <laughs> entry teacher. We added a, a, a half a position, uh, also a special ed teacher, uh, and we added a parent. So we added two and a half people this coming year, fiscal so 24. And off to the middle columns there, you can see one and a half of teachers and one is a para. And to the far right, you see the dollars for the teachers and the paras, 165000 dollars so $202,000. We also hired, uh, uh, we're also looking in the 2025 budget to add a 0.5 team leader at Wheelock. That's the 0.5 that, that Dr. Myerson talked about. So in total, we're adding three people. That's how it breaks out. Two teachers, one para, total cost $225,000 being added to the operating budget. Now, the curve this year is we had people last year in the fiscal 24 
budget, there were three people that were supposed to be in the budget. But when we couldn't afford that total budget, we said, let's move those people into a revolver, into the ESSA funds. So they weren't paid out of the operating budget last year. They were paid out of the revolvers or the ESSA funds, which is the, the third. That's in yellow here. That's in yellow. Yeah. So you can see the, the three up top there in the middle grouping of numbers being added to the operating budget this year and coming out of the revolvers. And the dollars rep that represented are off to the right. So those additional three people are costing $144,000 in terms of teachers, 59,000 in Paris or 204,000. So when you add the total increase to the operating budget, you're looking at about $429,000. But from a total payroll perspective, we're not having to, we're spending fewer dollars out of the revolver by not having to spend that 132,000 to 40,000, 172,025. So that the net, you're looking at the total payroll is an increase of 257,000. So I had to do that to make sense of it. But the long and the short- It's of it, been a lot of time with Michael. I mean, they, they we, did a lot of work. We had a lot of iterations yeah. of this yeah. because it was uh, uh, halfway through that. We went through a couple of meetings before we realized, oh, we moved up. We really didn't put high of those people in 24. We moved them into ESSER. So we had to find all the pieces. So any questions on that as I follow that? Or? Okay. Let's see what we get. Now we're going to the um, next one is next month. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's not yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. Which one would you work for? They were in the presentation. Um, I, don't know what, I don't know what happens with that. What happened to them? Because they're in the handout. What's it called? They're in the book. Um, it, it's called. Uh, Non-payroll, major major line items. If you look in the book, yeah, I have that. Everybody look in the book. It was in the packet that email. Non-payroll, it's not it's payroll, major it's line items. Yeah. Yes, right. It's it four, negative four fifty four thousand on the bottom. Yeah. Yes, okay. right. So it starts with the special education lines. Yeah, and you can look across there, and <clears throat> and see the the total for the. Tuition for private schools going up three hundred thousand dollars, three hundred two thousand, very top line, yeah, twenty three percent. You can see the history of the circuit breaker offset right below it, and you can see what's being uh, what we budgeted in twenty four. That's seven hundred seventy three thousand and seven hundred thousand, which we're currently budgeting for twenty five as an offset, so that the net for all of those private schools is. Um, Nine hundred fourteen thousand up three hundred seventy five thousand dollars. Collaborators, we, uh, we have movement there, so we won't have anyone in collaborative next year. So we're saving versus last year in budget sixty two thousand. And then in the very last line, that's the transportation line, which we're budgeting flat for, for uh, special ed transportation. So the net of those lines, you can see, is three hundred thirteen thousand. There are still some children at mass schools. Those tuitions are going up 140,000. So 
you look at the total of special ed incremental costs, and it's that 313 plus the 140, you're talking about $453,000 of your increase year to year is just tied up in, in special ed. Mm -hmm. you, uh, I have a question. Can you explain the, so the, the tuition is mass schools. Can you just explain what that is, how that works? Basically, the mass schools, it's, 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 there are private schools and there are mass state schools. But if you're placing a person out, out of district, it could be in one or the other. Correct me. Yeah, it's really yeah, it's just one of them's private. So those are the schools that I remember state. last year there was the hollow blue because it was 14% increase in one year. Okay. And um, fortunately for us, it didn't affect us that much. But other districts, uh, I think of Needham for one that really got slammed with that because no one is, it's typically two, three percent increase, actually four this year. Um, but it's usually fairly low and it went right up to 14 last year. It was a big, big problem. So these are students, these are Medfield students, residents. That had chosen to go to another. No, that's school no. choice. No, that's no this school is special ed. Special ed. Special ed. Yeah, special ed. Special ed. In fact, when I get into the next schedule, we'll get more into more into this and talk a little bit more about special okay, ed. Okay, so this, even but though it's below this, even though it's below this, in the next schedule, I'll put it back in. Special. I have a question on this, though. Um, earlier, it talked about the circuit breaker at 75%. Mm -hmm. um, What's 75% of what on this? Oh, I'll get through that in the next, the next slide. Next yeah. 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 So we continue to go down there. You're looking at transportation. That This is the Connolly bus transportation going up to the 5.7%, That's a million six for about 20 buses. So you're looking about $80,000 mm -hmm. per bus per year for that. And this is year four. Uh, when you do those Connolly bus contracts, you usually have a three-year contract plus two additional years, year four and five, at the district's request. And you heard Michael say, I think, at a prior meeting that he does go out and he he, he tests the market in year four yeah. just to see whether we can get to a better get a better price. But uh, it's hard to beat Connolly busing. They always come in with a contract up. So after 25? No, yeah, uh, uh, this is year four. 26 will be year five. Okay. So we'll make a recommendation to the school committee in the spring to continue that, to keep going. And then we'll have to go out until fall. Oh, you go 26 to 27. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you look at you look at the trend there. It's uh, you know, well, five years ago, it was at 1.2. Now it's at 1.6. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. A lot. Right. And you know, one of the things that's frustrating, I think we've talked about it at school committee level, is that uh, we typically get one bidder. Yeah. And that's been the way it has been for a long time. You don't get a lot of other companies bidding on that. So there's typically is territory, I think, that people bid on. And um, I know you know, it's, it's something that you guys have uh, wrestled with, uh, I understand, is uh, bus fees mm -hmm. and trying to offset some of this. Uh, this increase. And I don't know where you stand with that, but I, I guess you haven't you haven't uh, taken a vote on it, right? We're no, not... I don't think we've gotten to a point yet where we would we would be able to take a vote on that. We've talked about it. Uh, we've had Michael and Dr. Marson present to us um, about some of the different um, options and what that could look like. But I think we're still in kind of a a preliminary stage on what we would do in that. We would need to get a lot more, I think, feedback and data from the community. Um, because one of the things you have to consider is if we do start charging for buses, would people then drive their kids instead, right? You have to understand the different assumptions that you'd be making. 
when you look at what you're doing to charge. Also in regards to charging, um, for bus fees, you have to look at the distance of where children are in relation to the school. Mm -hmm. And that, um, I guess, kind of like algorithm we would have to figure out in regards to like, you know, my family, for example, like one kid I might pay for and the other one I wouldn't have to pay for because it would be required to take that child to school. Yeah. So there are those kind of things that we'd have to- I imagine well. there's a complexity of, uh, you're looking at the changing start time of schools, so which might impact mm -hmm. bus decisions mm -hmm. by families, right? Yeah. It's, they use the GPS to do that, and it really is dependent on mileage. It's like mile right. and a half is one yeah. of the things. I'll, I'll you say- You have a person on a street, yes. and, and then mile yeah. and a half goes right through the driveway. <laughs> from from the door of the school. They, they, they actually do it from the from the, the door where they let them off right. to to your drive, to your house to the GPS lines. It's unbelievable. Right. But when you talk about you know the, the, the fees for that, um you're looking at a million six, so 10 months of buses, 166,000. I, I think for the districts that do this, they wind up charging a price that basically offsets one, one and a half months of uh cost yeah probably if you can get 166,000 out of that mm -hmm. you, you yeah. save one month and that's that's significant right yeah, there's pros and cons yeah. yeah. but you know that that's maybe a couple more people than, right yeah i think one of the things too is that you can charge for 7 through 12 you know yeah. tomorrow the school committee votes it you're not required to bus any kids 7 through 12 by law Okay. So they can charge. It, it gets tricky with the elementary kids yeah. and the middle school kids because you, you could have a situation where you're paying for one kid to go to Memorial and not the other child to go to Wheelock based on where you live. Yeah. You know, I'll so. just say as a parent, they do an amazing job. So they do. No, they very good. Yeah. All right, moving on. Um, I, I like to group all of those uh, costs associated with running the facility, the electricity, the natural, the, the heat, the water, yeah. the telephone, maintenance contracts, et cetera. And you're looking at first line electricity where it's actually going to go down, uh, budgeted down 50000 next year. And, and when you look through the detail uh, line items, you can see some schools are going up, some are down. Mike went through each line, looked at the history, and... Uh, gave his best estimate as to what it would look like by school. So there's uh, a lot of, that's a, that's a net of $50,000 savings. Question on that. Uh, does, how is the assumption of the new uh, solar panel factored into the 25 electricity? Budget? Well, we'd like to see them actually happen. Yeah. Um, you know, we're still waiting for all that. I know the school committee uh, did a really good job last year rushing all that and making sure we got all the votes and yeah. we're still waiting for it um through the process so but to answer your question you're asking how that will affect utilities costs once we actually have them in place well i was, I was very uh, yes and it, if it impacted 25 sounds like it's it's delayed and it's, it's delayed months. yeah and michael went through the entire thing has the you know the, the projections on that um we had projections you know, ready. Savings projected, right? There's definitely a savings projected, long, especially long term. Long term yeah. is really yeah. something. Short term, not short term, not so a lot, but okay. So yeah. I'm just curious. Yeah, because we talked about that at the mm -hmm. budget hearing. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, yeah. No, no, no. That's, that's, what, we, that's what we. That's what we're here for. <laughs> 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 so when you look down all of, all of those, you got a couple of other fluctuations there in water and sewer, and going up ten thousand and going down in maintenance contracts. Um, 
So the, the net is really driven by the reduction in electricity with 54,000. So your total operations, so I'll, I'll call running the running the business, is going actually down about 3.7% for the budget, which is good. Uh, technology is another big cost center, if you will, and there's a whole host of- I think you might have this one. You definitely have uh, Now you go to the next one, yeah. Yeah. Uh, let me see if I have that. <laughs> Here you go. Yes. Okay. And statistic technology, um, that $10,000 there on software licenses is a new license that uh, prevents hackers from entering the system. Yeah. Um, and the instructional software is going up 40,000, uh, about 30,000 of that, 29,250 is a reading software formerly paid via ESSA. So now it's moving up into the operating fund since the ESSA funds now are at zero. We've spent them all. Mm -hmm. They're all gone. All gone. All gone. All right. Can I just ask about sector funds real quick? Because I, when we went, when you were talking about this, I was a little confused about why these were still negative FTEs if because the fund ran out. Well, they can, they were. Were they paid, paid ahead? No, they were, they were paid in 24. Uh, within ESSA. So those three positions were paid out of ESSA. Those three positions are gone from the revolvers. So you're reducing. Yeah, it's, not it's, there it's coming out of the revolver. It's coming it's out, out of the revolver. Those are the negatives. It's coming out. And they're going what? up. He's just saying net. They're still in there. It's yeah. just not net. Right. That's yeah. not net. Yeah. It's plus three and minus three. They just move together. They just okay. move from one, one bucket to another. They move from the asset funds to the operation. into the operational budget. Right. Okay. So the head, the head count's still the same. They were the same. They were hired last year, just paid for out of one bucket. Now they're still with us and they paid for it out of the operating fund. Okay. And then he used the negatives to show, okay, well, these were net new this year, I think. Is that right? Right. Yeah. yeah. So the uh, net still okay, comes down you. to three people, two and one. Mm -hmm. But we were handled about figuring that out. No, it's good. It's very clear. It's clear. Um, so if you look at the bottom, you can see the the payrolls going up four percent. That's the thirty-five million eight twenty-seven up a million three ninety-one four point oh four percent. The non-payroll is is going up six hundred thousand fourteen. So total of two two million double oh six to four point eight seven, which which we talked about. Will come down by about seventy thousand once the uh, once the maybe the school committee decide on how we want to cut that seventy grand. Um, I'm sorry, I thought I was tracking this whole thing. Um, but on the bottom here, there's this, the non payroll is the six fourteen. It seems like it's going up a decent amount. But on the previous slide, the non payroll was the one where I thought we were happy, where it was sort of not. Yeah, that is it. Well, I mean, well, like, in that non payroll is a uh, big piece of that increase is special ed. Right? It's special, yeah. yeah. This, okay. this was one schedule. <laughs> Let me see where I'm going. This was one schedule. Okay. And if you had it all in one, you'd never be able to. So, there's a second. So, he broke, okay. so they broke the schedule into two. All right, it's over here. We'll the get last to slide. I got you. Slide. Okay. All that. Here we go. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go to the next one because that's when we spend a little bit more time. This is an interesting. Uh, Slide. Who? Gr points D. When we take the 
when we take those math schools and just put them into the regular special ed. So and you had the transfer. So this, so, so this of uh, that six hundred, this yeah. site says four fifty is special ed. Yeah, that's what I'm yeah, right. I got right. that now. Thank you. Yeah. So that that that's interesting. These are just obviously the same numbers you saw on the other spreadsheet, and those are all of the history of the circuit breaker offsets that we've been using in our budgeting for next year. And you'll see those same numbers when we get into the circuit breaker revolver in a few minutes. But what we wanted to show here is again that 400, the, the net number of 453,000 going up 31%. Um, and take a look at the, the students over the years. You're looking at trouble reading my glasses. 23, 18, 18, 18, 18, 18, 18, 18, 21, 20, and 18. Um, what happened in 24 is uh, you see 20 students, but in 20, those students are aged out on next year, so they won't be there next year. But we will have 18 students because we added two students um, who uh, they came in during this year. So mm -hmm. we'll have 18. So mm -hmm. it's basically 18 versus 18. And then I thought it would be interesting to put down the average cost of each student. And we didn't go out to the decimal places because some students are in there for a partial year. So it could be, you know, the 20 could be eight, 19 and a half or something like that. But, um, but it gives you an idea of what it costs for placing, outplacing a, a student. You send a person to a collaborative, it could cost you a, a 120,000 to send them there and another 30,000 for transportation. So it could cost you 150,000. If you send them, if a person has to go out to uh, um, a residential, you know, 365, 24-7, you're talking in north of 300,000 for Ottawa. So mm -hmm. it's very, special ed is, is a very, very volatile area. You don't know yeah. who's going to move in and, and when and what the needs of those people are going to be. And we'll talk a little bit about that, a little more about that when we get into the, the revolver. But at the bottom, I wanted to go over. There's the 75%. There's your 75%. Yeah. So, <laughs> but there's a deductible, like an insurance deductible. Yeah. Okay. Remember, it's, it's like a, an insurance policy with a deductible. So, if a, if it's just for simple numbers, if a student cost you $100,000, and your deductible was 40, and that's it's in the neighborhood. I think that foundation budget per student is like is in the 40, 40, 44, 45. So use 40 to make it easy. So your eligible costs of 100 less the 40 deductible, your um, that leaves you 60, and they're going to pay you 75% of the 60. 75% of 60 is 45,000. So you, so. Uh, it's, always, wind a, up it's always a lag year. You'll wind up paying 55 out of 100 in that mm -hmm. example. And of course, the difference for each one of them. Mm -hmm. In this example here, this is the gross numbers. Um, we have tuition after that foundation, after that deductible, if you will, of $1,096,000 in 23. The reimbursement rate 75%. The circuit breaker reimbursement is going to be 822,101. And you're going to get that in 24 because everything's delayed. At right. the end of every year, the special ed director adds up all those eligible costs. You submit it to DESE. They give you the money the subsequent year. And that's when you see it going into your did, did everybody understand that point? Because we're going to talk about this later. And we'll talk about the article. Yeah. But, but the way special ed works is very 
it's unique within budgeting, right? It's a face the state makes you submit claims. You have to incur the cost locally and you submit a claim and then there's like a year lag yeah. uh, in, in getting that money back. And you can understand that just you know by sheer coincidence, you could have someone move into town right. with a lot of special needs. And you're you're a year out from getting at least and you don't get all of it, you get 75% of it back. So it's a tough area to budget for right. and predict, and it's it's unpredictable uh, and volatile. Uh, and you, we'll talk about it later, but that is one of the reasons why um, there's this article for the special yeah. and reserve fund. Just a question here, though: either the eight two two or the one point oh two two should is that something we should expect to see in a twenty twenty five number? But I only see the seven hundred. I'm maybe on that's the in the twenty four number. I, we, we didn't have, we don't have 24 yet, obviously, because the year oh, has a year. Oh, those are really 23 numbers. They're just sort of off the yes, right. That's okay. I put, I put it under the 23 column. Yeah, but it doesn't, it doesn't hit. It I see it. That budget, means that, that's showing the lag. Yeah. I see. And that I shows the lag out there. I see. Right. Yeah. But this doesn't net out anything above it or it. it well, it, it's yeah, in we'll, there? we'll get into that okay. in the next schedule. It does, it does net out. You'll, you'll, okay. This is the money you're going to receive. Yep. The money you're going to take out of it. Is that yellow line up top? Okay. Um, so, anyways, transportation—that's the the second part of the calculation. That only kicked in about uh, last year, the year, two years ago. Two years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, if you look up above, you can see that transportation it was about five hundred five thousand dollars. The actual number in two thousand and twenty-three. You see under the twenty-three column. Yeah. So that's your total transportation for special ed, but not all of which. Is eligible. The eligible piece was three hundred and fifty-one thousand because right. they're not going to reimburse you for in-town transportation. Right. It's only for the out-of-district out of placements. Last year they reimbursed at a fifty-seven percent rate, so that was another two hundred thousand. So there is a million oh twenty-two, which you will see when uh, when we look at the. Uh, uh, well, let me. I'll say before we get off this this, I I had thought this 31% was such a big increase, but if you look back at the prior years, it's almost like a rough average of the last five years. Yeah, but keep in mind that that 2020 number enrollment was yeah. a lot higher. Yeah. Right? So you would have, and then, so, so enrollment was higher, so you had more special ed students. I see. Um, and uh, the average cost per student. Cost per student's gone up. Mm -hmm. yeah. Sure has. Yeah. Okay, let's go to the next one with circuit break. Dude, my circuit break. All right, now, see the million 022? <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> That's forecast to come in. Um, so let me just kind of watch you. Remember, basically, the way this works, this is the history of the ins and the outs, beginning balances, mm -hmm. the new receipts every year. The bottom line there is called direct expenses is the amount of money that we're utilizing in that year to offset the special ed expenses, and then you come down to the bottom line there of the ending. If you go way back there, you can see the negative numbers in those two years, 18, 19. That was just an accounting adjustment. The money came in. The fourth quarter payment came in in July. Should have been booked in June. Uh, could have been booked in June, and it would have been a positive number because you can't go negative. It's one of the rules of a 
of a revolver, you can't go negative. You can't spend money you don't have, right? <laughs> Not much different than your own budget. Uh, okay. So you can go across there and, and see the, the ending balances in that 200, 350 range. And we're projecting right now that we will end 2024 with 217,000. The budget is either million or ninety-one. Yeah, I the budget was seven hundred seventy-three thousand. Was my question. Okay. <laughs> and the year before, on that million oh sixteen, the budget was seven hundred thousand. So it's a, so it's an estimate. Well, yeah, it, it's, it's not very accurate. No, it's, it's your best. It's no. it's it's your best estimate at the right. time. It's what you think you're going to need. You know, you're going to balance budget. But things. This is such a volatile area. Conditions change, and consequently. You have to use more of the uh, circuit breaker funds in order to uh, offset expenses. So those numbers at the bottom, you'll see, you know, those are the numbers that are on the prior schedule as utilization that offset the expenses. So going forward, we're going to open up 25 with $217,000. Right now, it looks like Mike was very, very conservative here. We just have receipts of 730000 um, when we do the numbers, there's probably about 200,000 more that we're going to get from transportation. However, at this point, Mike is kind of reluctant to put that in because there have been so many extraordinary relief claims throughout Massachusetts this year that some of those funds that they would have used might have gone might have to be used for that. So you may not get the 57% reimbursement. We'll get something. Yeah, I think but, we talked about with nine C cuts happening too. You just don't know. You yeah. don't know where, yeah. where the money's so going to be. It's conservative. Um, so if we didn't get anything and the, you know, and, and use 700,000, we'd wind up with 247. Yeah. If we get as much as 200,000, which we have, if we have the same reimbursement rate, we'd probably be at 447. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. This also ties into the discussion that we're going to have later on on that article, yeah. because the question becomes, how much is enough? Yeah. What should that balance be? Because when we talk about this emergency relief fund in this article, we're talking about that as uh, a fail-safe. That's for emergencies only. Mm -hmm. So you're going to have to cover within your own volatility within this mm -hmm. account to account for yeah. other, you know, so you you it's almost like I sort of look at this as like you got to try to manage this for a circuit breaker to have a, a balance in it at least a half a million probably. I would yeah I, I, I think yeah it seems like uh, we haven't been there historically and as you can see that we're getting into really volatile periods here. Uh, so um, you know it, 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 it you know. We will, we'll talk about the circuit. We'll talk about the uh, the um, article when once once we get through all this operating yeah. budget stuff. But so you know, when, when you look at that, and let's say you have four forty seven, and then next year you have another three hundred thousand dollars surprise. You need to yeah. move that seven hundred thousand you thought you were going to commit to offset it to a million, and now that four forty seven is down to one hundred forty seven. You get perilously close. So. How much you should have in that reserve? Remember that the, the uh, Desi says you can carry over the prior year's receipts, so we can carry over a million oh twenty two. 
Right. That would be the ceiling on what we could retain. And never had luxury. But, <laughs> but yeah, I know, but I do think that over the years that 247, that's clearly not enough. And this yeah. is a, I mean, it's a great idea. And I applaud Steve and Christine and everyone for coming up with this reserve because um, we're going to need the belts and suspenders, I think, at times because it's it's getting more and more volatile with movements. <laughs> so, but step number one is, I think, you know, as an objective, we're going to try to, we'd love to try to bring that balance in this account up so we can handle some of the surprises. But this, you know, I, I agree with you that this is the assumption here is very conservative. It I, is. I think yeah. the chances of us getting the chances of the state giving us <coughs> zero right. on transportation yeah. is pretty low. Yeah, I, I think they've been on a mission to get it up. You know, mm -hmm. so yeah. last year was fifty-seven percent. So I don't think you're going to go back yeah. to zero. But you never know. We can't can't guarantee that. But right. so I, I do think it's very conservative. But yeah, it is. I mean, it's, again, it could be yeah. 447. Yeah. But then, you know, yeah. we'll see. Okay. All right. So that's, that's that. The next one is really, a, Mike had that in here, and I wish he was here to speak to it. This is about the, uh, he wanted to show oh, food service, and, yeah. and uh, Superintendent Madison already talked about this, and you can see the, the, the revenue going down year to year because the reimbursement rate has gone down from the state. So it went from a million four ninety one uh, in twenty three down to one million, and we just forecast a million going out. But uh, we're having a windfall here. You look way back to two thousand and eighteen, and and two thousand and nineteen, and two thousand twenty. Look how little money we had in that account. We were almost going bankrupt here. Fifteen million dollars. Right? So, you know. If you were running a business, you look at 2021 actual, and you had $508,000 uh, $508, in revenue, and you only had $15,000 profit, you'd be concerned. <laughs> so it's the same with this. So we've had this windfall from the state, and we're going to use that windfall. You can see that last line item of capital. We're going to start replacing all of the stoves and, uh, and dishwashers, et cetera, and use that to fund capital uh, expenditures so this is this is great from uh medfield it's been great for a, a lot of districts in uh, massachusetts because everybody had been struggling with this account mm -hmm. a revolve is supposed to these are many businesses and they're supposed to pay not only for their operating expenses but for their capital improvements mm -hmm. as well mm -hmm. and this account across the state has been one that's troubled everybody because there's never enough money to fund your capital until now So that's it, I think. That was the last one. That was the last one. Any questions on the operating budget? Anything that we can talk about if anybody wants to talk about? Can you just clarify the 4.7 versus 4.76, whatever that so, was? So, um, so as you know, at our last meeting, yeah. we voted on the, the 4.7 right. uh, uh, for the schools. And said any request above that would, would require a uh, an override. Yeah. Or two, uh, the 4.7 keeps us within the prop two Correct. Right. Mm -hmm. So um, the, the the final budget with the school committee uh, tonight, you you know, because the school committee hasn't had a chance to meet since our meeting. So they are going to meet next week, I guess. And um, yeah. Jeff has a 
has a few uh, options to close the gap of what was it like seventy thousand dollars? Okay. Uh, <clears throat> so we are expecting that you will get to that number somehow with only three options, uh, uh, and that um, we will have a balanced budget. It's a it's on meeting, so, um, and um, that's that answer your question. Okay. Okay. Um, and um, so we want to talk about the um, the next agenda item, which is the uh, Article Fourteen. Um, so, sorry, I have extra slides. Oh, sorry. At the end. No, 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 they're at the end, just in case questions come yeah, yeah, up and yeah, want to go yeah, over yeah. it. So I'm not going to go over any of this. I'm just trying to get to the end, but. Yep. So Frank, take you can do what you need to do. Is the special uh, education reserve in this one, or do you want to? No, you can out, so, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. Thank you very much. That was very good, Jeff. Oh, thank you. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And Michael is not feeling well, so that's why he's not here, but he would be here um, alongside all of us here, giving information, he's just not full work for us. Steve, do you want me to just pull up the, the um, draft? Yeah, uh, the special draft education? article would be good. Okay. Uh, so I think it's important to have a conversation about this. Um, and, uh, Christine, I don't know. Do you want to talk about this, or do you want me to? Yeah, um, Christine has uh, drafted up a uh, an article for the creation of the special education reserve fund. There's actually a provision in our uh, in the state law for this type of a fund. Uh, and uh, the research that's been done by Christine and Frank and, and uh, Jeff is that uh, there's uh, quite a few communities that use this, uh, you know, in their, their uh, fiscal management of uh, special ed. And the way the way it works is um, basically uh, there's there's a, a number of um, provisions that are in the law. But, one of them is that the fund uh, can be set up with uh, a vote at uh, a town meeting, and um, uh, and then you you know you appropriate you can appropriate money into it and it will go to town meeting, and um, and then uh, to take money out of it, the funds distributed from the fund, it's a majority vote of the school committee. And a majority vote of the select board only, uh, so it doesn't it doesn't go back to town meeting for any uh, for disbursement. <clears throat> it's left with the, those two committees, um, and um, you know. And then there is a there is a uh, provision that caps the balance in the fund at two percent of the annual net school spending amount that's established for the school district. So, uh, and so, you know, I think um, that's, 
that's the um, the actual uh, the actual uh, I, I think we put the material. This is the, the actual article, um, and I think that um, you know Ed and I were were talking, and we felt, and we actually talked with Japanese public and all that. It's important to have some some parameters around sort of uh, managing this fund. Um, so that uh, you do end up putting money into it. What are the circumstances which go to both committees? Uh, almost like a management policy. And so, if I'm passing on that, I'm asking you ask me to do it. Read the rules. Yeah. Yeah. That me? That me? Yep, I'm trying to right now. Okay. No. No. So I took a pass at saying what would be the uh, rules of engagement to get this these funds because remember first and foremost this is an emergency reserve only be used when when you have to and, I, and I'm so what I wrote here you can see you can read it the schools can only request to transfer from this reserve when a their current year uh, there there I'm sorry I, I messed that up already uh, you have to be twenty five percent more than last year's circuit breaker eligible costs. So if you spent a million dollars last year, it has to be a million two fifty. And then the process would be: so you have to have told those two criteria, and you have to, and B, the schools have to apply for emergency relief with the Department of Elementary Education. So you have to file. And you have to be, you have to meet the criteria. So you meet the criteria and don't file doesn't do anything good. You have to do both. When these conditions are met, you should concurrently apply for the emergency relief with DESI and apply to the school committee, the select board, for a transfer of funds in case the DESI does not approve the emergency relief. So it's a practical matter. You do both, you do everything <clears throat> concurrently. So you go to the board there and the, the school committee and say, this is what's coming down the pipe. I've applied for emergency relief. If we get it, terrific, you don't have to worry about it. But if we don't get it, then we're going to be coming back to you to see if we can be reimbursed from this emergency, this uh, special ed reserve fund. So again, if DESI approves the emergency relief, the funds will be used in the current year, because you have to use it in the current year to offset those incremental special ed costs. Uh, if the request was denied by DESI, then the schools would request the needed funds for the, from the special reserve fund. And if approved by the school committee again, uh, they transfer the amounts prior to year end and apply it to the incremental costs of special ed. Because denied, you get denied in special from, from DESI and you get denied by this board, then the schools have to figure out how are we going to cover this exposure within the budget, which would be very tough to do. So it's constantly, uh, you're constantly looking forward. Uh, when you're in Mike's position, 
to see you know what's what's it look like down the pike so you can initiate this process early in the year. So God forbid you had to do something, you'd have some some time to react. Mm -hmm. Because you know, and, and you know the the benefit of this type of a, a reserve fund is that um, and it's important to go through and understand the process and what the triggers on it, but yes, that you don't have to you, you know you don't have to call a special town meeting yeah, if you have an issue. Um, you can rely on your elected official to, to make the right decision. But we are uh, recommending that. Uh, so the way, so I mentioned, the way this uh, works is they, the trigger, the real trigger is here is that they've made a decision to apply for extraordinary relief. They've, they've met the criteria, which is 25% increment, right? So their costs have gone up 25%. And they have, IEP plans for identified students. Then they make that decision to apply for the extraordinary relief. That has all that has to happen before they they come to the committees right. uh, and uh, ask for money out of this reserve fund. Yeah. Uh, so it's really incumbent on you know it's still incumbent on the school department to manage this as best they can. And that's only if they get to a, a real, this is like a last resort, like it said. They can't, they, you know, we've just had some late kids move into town and, and it's the law, we have to we have to comply with it and deal with it. So that's the purpose of this final student. Yes. Where does the money, like what, yeah, what yeah. money is going into it? Good question. Good yes, question. That's a good question. Yes, yes, yes. Spot. Like so, how does it get there? Yeah, so that's a good question. So in the first year, uh, the proposal this year would be that uh, we use some free cash, okay. $200,000 of free cash to fund this. And that on an ongoing basis, there is a, uh, there is a, uh, a, a small amount, I think uh, Jeff touched on this in one of the slides, there's a, a small amount of Medicaid uh, money that, that gets turned back for free cash every year, like thirty or forty thousand dollars. That would, you know, get we, you know, the proposal would be we put that into this reserve fund. Some Medicaid money that's generated by the schools. By the schools, yes, right. yeah, okay. yeah, would go back into this fund, so right. that um, free cash. Free cash. Free cash. It goes right now. It goes, Free cash in the town. Oh, okay. All right. Thank you. Yeah, it goes to the town. Okay. So there's only one free cash. I'm sorry. It doesn't free cash. Right. Those kind of things. That's the next thing. Meeting. Yeah. So regional school districts. Regional. So keep in mind that, you know, the hope is that, you know, this is rarely used, right? So it would be invested and it earned money. We'd have the Medicaid money going in, small amount of Medicaid money. And, you know, as Jeff said, you could have one, you know, one out of, out of uh, you know, one residential placement of a student could be 300 grand. So really the 200 could be wiped out with just one student. Um, so um, that's, you know, but, you know, a lot of, a lot of triggers have to happen for them to get to this money, right? Um, and uh, it's, I think it's the proven thing to do. Um, you know, it's, we're in a fortunate situation this year where we do have some free cash that we can allocate to this uh, and hopefully solve it. You know, put in place a, a solution for a, a longer term. Mm -hmm. so we can, 
Yeah. Steve, could there be a provision put in the criteria if the state does not offer extraordinarily? Sometimes that would happen. Like they used to have pothole money, they call it, and they give you an email and they say, we're going to fund all of these different items to fill your pothole in your budget. And they stopped that and then they went to extraordinary relief. So sometimes um, I'm just weird with the state that it may not be there. So if there's a provision within this that if they, the state does not offer extraordinary relief, is there a provision for the district to go to this? So that I mean, we can certainly, you know, kind of is. Yeah. It seems reasonable to yeah. have it. Like, I think you would use because, the same criteria that you would use to apply for the extraordinary relief. Yeah. So okay. I think that's yeah, that's right. fine. I just want to yeah, be yeah, clear yeah. that sometimes the state doesn't. Yeah, I mean, if they, yeah, like the right. friend bill. Like yeah, if they if the state does something stupid like that, I mean, yeah. and, uh, but you still meet all the other criteria, right? The twenty seven. Yeah. 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 I think that would. Yes, he calls extraordinary. Right. We, we just we just have to word the narrative of the article such that uh, you know it deals with with that concern. But the good that's a good idea. Yeah. Should be extraordinary. Okay. It doesn't mean I'm saying thanks. So I ask a sort of process question that, that yeah may come across really stupidly, but um. This is different. Was this not in what we reviewed last week? Is this in addition to that? We reviewed a, a the last time we met. We reviewed a list of like ten. It was on there. Yes, yeah, yeah, it was on. Yeah, this this item was was in the list of free cash yeah. allocation. So we, we and had, a warrant warrant was in that list of warrants we were planning. But there yes, was like a stack yes, of warrant. Yes, yeah. And we're talking through this one in particular because they're here. Yeah, yeah. Now we'll we'll talk about all of them eventually. I'm but trying we, to get I put this one on the organized. Because, Thank you. Because they were here and it made sense to you know do it a lot. Got it. Here. Thank you. Yeah. So I think so. The municipal modernization act of 2016 is what allowed this fund to be created. And if you go back and look, there were a few towns that set it up right after 2016, but the number of towns that approved it in the last three years um, has exploded. So we're not the only ones who are facing the pressure of rising costs, particularly transportation. So um, you know, our all of our surrounding towns have have followed this path as well. Yeah, what was it? I heard Miller says a, a bit, what, million and a half over. Million and a half over after special education. Special ed. A problem that is a statewide issue. Mm -hmm. uh, so, anyway, we're not going to vote on anything tonight. I just wanted to kind of talk about it. Is there any, any other questions that people have on this article? I don't have a question, but I just have like a pretty basic comment that, like, you know, I I saw all the things that Dr. Marsden said they can't fill, and I just think that this is a good idea because, you know, it, it's kind of, we want to provide education to everyone in town with special needs and not special needs. And if you are faced with these volatile increases and you don't have a way in your town revenue to meet that, then you're inevitably going to have to cut other things. And so I know that's a really basic comment, but not being a financial yeah. person it's, like that, that's, that's just like a, a, you a very know, good comment. Yeah. That, like this is a way for us to provide for everybody a little bit better. Yeah. You know, so really so like, I, I agree with you. I mean, I don't think that's a basic question at all. And I think that's one of the things that Jeff and I talked about. And we've been actually looking at it the other way is that if you have um, a child that moves in and the costs are extraordinary and you have to increase your basic operating budget for that, and then that student moves out of the district, you've already built that into the, to the base of the budget. So there's this, I think, kind of smooths it out for everybody, whether too low or too high. I think it, it kind of just moves that out. And when we do vote on this, this is 
sort of not in it? it is well, separate? no, it, it'll be uh, a, it's, it's a rough draft. There'll be right. a, and those be a, two will be together. Yeah, there'll be a well in the warrant. There's usually a, a narrative, mm -hmm. and then the actual. This is the motion, right? Basically. Uh, basically yeah so there'll be a narrative that explains this uh, some of this is a process not the narrative and then i think to memorialize that usually when we create these funds we created the capital stabilization fund or the municipal building stabilization fund we would incorporate this into the financial policy um, yeah so that if everybody knows exactly why we passed the fund and what they use it that was a question i had yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. that was my question too because this has a this has a different disbursement mechanism than the total correct right right if you still think it warrants to be included in the aggregate I think so. In the uh, when you say the yeah, yeah, so, oh, so, so the financial policy has, policy has certain 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 funds yeah, that, yeah, yeah. that are aggregated to make the number that we compare to our yeah. policy, but most of those get allotted via all town meeting, but not this one. Right. Right. But it's a little different. This is just point out categorically yeah. different yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. Any other anything else on this? So, Christine, did you say this would or would not be? Let's say there's two hundred thousand in there. Would that go towards the total reserve meeting our criteria or you know benchmarks? Would that be part of it? Uh, I think it would be. I think, yeah. I think it could make a case yeah. to do it. I think yeah. it would be. The, the reason why municipal building stabilization fund is not included in that is because it's a de dedicated funding source from an override. Right. So that requires a much different change than a reallocation of this fund. Right. Yeah. And in yeah. some yeah. sense, That's you know, you could argue it's actually easier to to take money out of this than a town meeting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I think that's why it's important for it to be, you know, in the financial policies so that people have a um, one repository to go to when they're looking for the rules and regulations we set up for these different funds. Yeah. So next year, let's pretend next year that we're operating a deficit uh, and we sort of don't have a lot of free cash. Are we saying that we're going to? Allocate a certain amount each year from the Medicaid, or that's all that we can decide each year. Or how? So uh, this initial two hundred is a one-time. Yeah, one-time shot. I got it. Not moving forward. The annual piece is this smaller, like Medicaid, yeah. thirty, forty thousand uh, dollars. If they don't have it in a year, then nothing. So we're not going to hard code that. We're just going to sort of say, hey, we kind of think we can maybe use that number, or we're going to say in the, in the warrant. Moving forward, we're going to take the Medicaid money and 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 earmark it, or which, yeah. which is yeah, a, I think I think we need to I well, think we need I, to have a dedicated funding yeah. source. Yeah, it'll, it'll be you know dedicated that, okay. that Medicaid piece will be dedicated for this month. Okay, and if they don't have any in a particular year, nothing will go in. Right. But even if we have like a, a difficult deficit, we we still have the sort of hard coded that yes. the Medicaid yes. goes in. It'll always go in. Okay, right. Yes. Yeah. Um, and the interest in this fund. Uh, now there is a cap. So there is a cap on this fund. So right. once we get to the cap, we can't keep putting. That's fine. I just was trying to make sure it was clear. So next year we're not fighting over weight. Yeah. yeah. And then any interest uh, generated from uh, the treasury collector on this fund for investments must stay with this fund. So it will also have some interest. Not that it's a huge amount of money, mm -hmm. but the interest uh, investment income will stay with this fund. <clears throat> okay. Let's move on to our agenda item. Thank you guys very much. Thank you. You're welcome. They're sitting on our MBTA. <laughs> <laughs>
I am actually interested about it, but I think I'll do it. <laughs> also, you're probably interested in having a nice dinner. Tell right. me on Sunday. I'll tell you on Sunday. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Very Thank, much. You Thank you. Thank you, guys. Okay, Maria, you're up next. Oh, this, this is from, yeah, from last time. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. <laughs> I, I don't remember it being there. No. Yeah, absolutely. Great. So we asked Maria, Delaporto, our planning and use director, director yeah. <laughs> uh, to come this evening. She's been intimately involved along with a consultant in this article, has attended many, many meetings, um, and uh, it's a complicated subject. So you might have read about it in the local news uh, that other towns uh, get a lot of attention. Mm -hmm. And so uh, she's going to give us a uh, Remember, this is the, the 1.0 version of the subject. We'll have a uh, the final version of this later in April. So. Thank you for the introduction. Uh, like Steve said, I'm Maria de la Fuente, Director of Land Use and Planning for Medfield. And um, again, this is a, a very high level overview. I'm happy to touch base with you one on one if you want uh, a little more detail. But uh, Frank, if you want to bring us to the next slide. Uh, so we're going to be covering the process and schedule we've had so far, a bit of the introduction to MBTA Communities Act, uh, and next steps, meaning what we're doing and uh, the timeline that we're looking at in the next couple months. Oh, sorry. For dramatic effect. <laughs> so this is the timeline today, just to give you an idea. This is something that the state has discussed since 2021 and slowly has been coming through to us. Um, August 10, 2022 is when we really started uh, seeing this come together for towns. That's when the final guidelines were issued by DHCD, now EOHLC. Uh, we've had submitted our interim action plan in January. And as you can see, there has been, there was a bit of a lull as uh, my predecessor left when I came on board, but we continued the work in October 26. We had an uh, info session for boards and committees. This was a very in-depth one-on-one. Uh, with the Select Board Planning Board Affordable Housing Trust. Um, we've had a public workshop in December where we got public feedback. There was a little exercise with Legos to get an idea of what people want density and how they want it. <clears throat> then um, we had a Planning Board Select Board meeting on January 22nd to discuss potential locations of the districts. And February 13th, uh, another follow-up, and we have another one uh, tomorrow as well. So there's been a lot of meetings, and every two weeks the Planning Board has met to discuss this and give updates. So there's been um, a lot of work put into this. So for the overview, um, what is the MTA Communities Act? So it's a new law established um, that establishes a requirement that each of the 177 designated MBTA communities must have a zoning district that provides for at least one district of reasonable size, which is described as at least 50 acres in which multifamily housing is permitted as of right. And as of right means um, it could mean through a site plan approval, meaning that the planning board still has oversight over some things and every other kind of board would still have to review the document like water and sewer, historical commission, conservation commission. 
So there's still a lot of oversight over this. So as long as they, they meet uh, reasonable criteria, the planning board has to approve it. But again, every other board has to make sure that they meet all the regulations. The housing cannot have age restrictions and has to be suitable for families with children. There has to be a minimum gross density of 15 dwelling units per acre. And this is entirely theoretical. You don't have to build a 15 dwelling units per acre. And part of this district has to be located within half a mile of a train station, which doesn't apply to Medfield. So why are we an MBTA community? We are considered an adjacent community because while we don't have an MBTA, towns that are near us do have it. So our compliance deadline as an adjacent community is December 31st of 2024. So what is the MBTA community's not apply for. So it is not a mandate to build housing. This is zoning, which is entirely a legal framework. It is not a housing production target. It is not restricted to only addressing affordable housing needs. Um, it is not viewed as optional by the attorney general. It is mandatory and towns that have not complied have actually uh, recently been uh, served by the um, AGs. Uh, and it is also a, not a waiver or a fast track to development. Applications must still go through all applicable courts. Next slide. So what are the implications if the town does not comply? They're, the most significant implication is that we're going to lose access to major sources of grant funding. Uh, you can see a comprehensive list. I think it's 19 grants, and this is basically every uh, significant portion of money that we could tap into would be out of our reach. Melvin has actually had to give back money to the state in the past two weeks because of their noncompliance. And uh, you can see the uh, Attorney General's advisory guidance from March saying that communities that don't have a compliant multifamily zoning district must follow certain steps to demonstrate interim compliance. And if you fail to do that, you will be subject to civil enforcement action. And yeah. Oh, are we receiving any of these grants in Medfield today that you list? Yes. We are. Yes. I thought the big one is we just got approved for the MassWorks infrastructure project up at the state hospital for 4.5 million or something like that. Oh, yep. okay. And yep. if I may point out- more they want. Yes. So if we do not pass this zoning amendment, then Trinity and the NSA will be at risk uh, because Trinity is asking for $30 million in grant funds. And without this compliance, we will not get it. So the state hospital project will be uh, directly threatened if we don't find a way to comply. But, you know, it would be, I mean, this is extra work, but we talked about in the previous meeting, the grants, et cetera, as a part of the school budget is $5 million. And then here we've got, there's a bunch of grants. You know, it would be nice if we had a number somehow on what grants are, are, are is it all grants or is it these grants on the page here? Well, the, well, the ones that are at risk, if you yeah. don't comply. Yeah, well, on that page. Yeah. On the page, yeah. And, and so you, which ones apply to Medfield? Um, the, the big one we just talked about. That's I mean, the that's, that's the big kahuna in the world. That's that's the biggest. Is the, the grant is the, the mass, mass works mass and works, mass um, mass yeah. work infrastructure program, and um, 
and housing works. Yeah, I mean, I'm, um, Christine, I don't know if you can talk to are there any other smaller ones here? Oh, Christine just left. Oh, sorry, she left. Um, we do have community planning grants. Uh, we've used them. I've got $70,000 for zoning consultants. Um, trying to think of which others I'm familiar with. Well, I know. I think in the past, sorry, I didn't get No, go ahead. I, I think in the past, um, the municipal vulnerability preparedness. Yes. That's a big one for uh, fire. The fire department relies yeah. on that one. Yeah. Um, so does um, a lot of public safety departments. Yes. Yeah. Sorry. Okay. Well, maybe that's uh, maybe that's the point you can take away. Maybe maybe asterisk on the sheet which ones you know. Sure. Apply to Medfield. Yeah, and I could try to get you some estimates on the, the past year, how much we've done. Yeah, yeah, that would be good. Yeah, that would be good. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Next slide. So compliance requirements. Um, what do we need to do to comply? So there are three primary compliance tests that every IBTA community needs to complete. The first one is land area. We need to have at least 50 acres, 50% 50 of which have to be contiguous. So 50% of 50 is 25, but if we make our districts 70 acres, then you know the number keeps climbing, so it's a moving target. Capacity is hypothetical building capacity, takes into account only developable land, meaning non-public and non-open space. You can still include it in your district, but it will not count towards it. And then zoning parameters, such as uh, lot size, dimensions, parking, open space, uh, density restrictions, the things that go into how a building uh, looks and fits within the lot. Next slide. You, you can see that it's quite a rubric's cube, I call it. To, mm -hmm. You know, when you get into each of these areas and putting it all together so that you have a compliant, you know. Yes. And there is a um, Excel spreadsheet that only few consultants seem to be able to handle. Uh, it's very complicated, but you input your parameters. And if you change one small thing, everything changes because everything is interconnected. So it's... Uh, very complex uh, formula, and the state has provided their own database of eligible properties and eligible land. So there's a lot of information out there. So Maria, have you like looked at the town and thought about where this would be? Yes, actually, um, we cover where the planning board is like. We have been. She'll, she'll go. Oh, okay, got it. Yeah. Okay, cool. Sorry. <laughs> So this is an example of compliant density right around downtown. This is 14 South Street. It has four units and it's on 0 0.26 acres. Uh, that means that it's uh, 15 dwelling units per acre. There's obviously not 15 units on site, but that's what the calculation averages out to. So it's like a simple division process. So this is the kind of project that the planning board is hoping to attract. It's something that will is currently existing in downtown and will blend in with the uh, current buildings very well. So that complies. That complies. Um, if you were to write zoning to create homes like this, this is what you would see. Again, this is- but Are we allowed to protect that restriction on it? Um, because, I mean, I maybe you're gonna get to this, but the, the fear is that because it's a by right rule, mm -hmm. I don't know, and maybe you're gonna tell us, but that I could say, and I want each dwelling to have no more than four units in it, as opposed to, uh, somebody comes in and says, I'm going to put 100 units here, right? So that's the, that's the question that maybe you're going to answer, but and maybe that's, well, that, because I think people are concerned not so much about that. Mm -hmm. They're concerned about the thing that they were going to put over across the street in Dale. 
Yeah, I understand. Yeah. So that's where dimensional requirements are important. Uh, what, how much you can put in a site, you might have no cap on density, but the sites will naturally have a stopping point. There might be wetlands, there might be ledge, uh, there might not be sewer nearby. So those things will naturally cap development at a certain level. And I will get into the parameters that we're currently looking at and the projected density, but it's still pretty mild. We're looking at areas of town that are already developed for the most part. So redevelopment is going to take a lot longer. And we're also looking at parts of town that have very small lot sizes. So if you have a quarter of an acre, you can only put so many units there. You don't have 50 acres to put a huge thing. But I thought 50% of our 50 acres had to be contiguous. For the district. The parcels can be small. Parcels make up a district. It's, it's, yeah. So, so uh, for us, it's 25 acres, right? 50% of 50. Yeah. So 25 acres has to be contiguous. A lot of these developers like to buy a contiguous plot. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. No, it's, you're right. Okay. I think you'll see kind of, you know, the dilemma as she goes through it. Really. Yeah. And that's obviously, a, it's a possibility, but then you would need to have multiple willing sellers in, you know, the very specific geographic area. It's uh, it's definitely a barrier to larger developments to, you know, we're zoning very small parcels, exactly to try to promote smaller uses like this. Next slide. Um, so zoning considerations. This is what we're currently looking at, and I will show you a map in a second. The Medical Planning Board, in conjunction with the Select Board, have narrowed down the proposed MBTA district to the following areas. Um, Frank, if you want to click that uh, link below, it should take you to our map. Sorry, no worries. Awesome. So these are the areas that we're looking at. Uh, the one closer to this side is the park. It's the area of the park and adjacent. This is in the industrial extensive district. It's currently already housing, so we're not taking away from any industrial revenue. Uh, it's 9.2 acres and 7.0% of those, so seven acres of those are eligible land. And I believe this one has a density of 22 units an acre, potentially. Again, you're looking at using the existing zoning, we're not changing any dimensional parameters in the industrial district. The only thing we're doing is actually allowing multifamily. Everything else remains the same. So it's a very minimal change. The next district is the core downtown. This is in the B zoning district, and this is the district that gives us our contiguity requirement. This is 28.4 acres, out of which 26 are eligible land. And I believe the density for this was 21 dwelling units an acre. And again, this is changing nothing. This is just allowing multifamily. So the just so that purple area, that's is town hall in the middle of that? Where is this is going downtown. Yes. So this goes down where from this uh... um we stopped just short of the Papaginos Plaza. <laughs> I remember that. Um, it's down Prairie, close to yeah. Oh, I see. That's Prairie off there to the left. Yeah, sorry, close to that restaurant, right? The uh, and basil, basil, whatever. Yes, and I think that's Papagino. So we ex excluded. Oh, oh that's Papagino. Yes, because we wanted that to remain commercial. So that would be zoned for this. Yes. 
but I'm trying and are there in, in all of that purple area there are existing structures are there not there's no open land there um some of the green is the uh the public land it might be owned by the town or it might be open so space the dark green so the it, that doesn't count yeah so the town doesn't take right. you can't count that and so it's only like two or three acres. Green, yeah. Um, for this purpose. Yeah. But like, are you getting that? Are you getting at that? There's not like open places to build stuff. It would have to be sold to build. Yeah. It, so like, the, the the intent of what they tried to do was to not take open parcels and have massive development. Right. They, they wanted to zone where there already was high density. And count that, take credit for where there's already high density. So there's very little change, you know. Uh, and um, you know that's that's trying that's what they tried to do. So it's zoned, but, but that's you know if you wanted to embrace the spirit of what right. the end, what the state wants you to do, that's, you would you would you would you know it's not it. I mean, right? Like you would take a big empty parcel down off of twenty seven and right. say you know that's okay. my twenty empty and. And then you'd have a bunch of housing get developed and the school enrollment would go way up and our taxes would yeah, be yeah, yeah. That's what would happen if we embraced what the state wanted us to do. Right. Uh -huh. Right. Yeah, because this way a person who owned a property down there would have to sell it. You so I'm just surprised that that like meets the requirements. I'm not questioning it because I don't know right. what they are, but that seems like surprising. Well, the big, the big one is the big one is the 25 contiguous acres, right? That's that's the one. The rest of it, you can pick smaller parcels, and, and they allow you to do that. But figuring out that twenty-five acres is the big one. And the thing with zoning is that because it's entirely theoretical, the state cannot force us to build anything. It'll be an unfunded mandate, which they're not allowed to do. So the most they can do is say they have to zone for it. So we're zoning for it. Um, and something I would also like to point out is that if you're familiar with the Butterfly Tree Building and Salon One. I think uh, one of them has a density of 75 units an acre because it's on a tiny parcel and it just has some apartments. And the other one has a density of like 25. Mm -hmm. And you look at them and you're like, they're a down, you know, it's a building in downtown. You don't think twice about it. You don't realize the density is 75 units an acre, which sounds super scary. Oh, I know that. So it's it's already there and we're hoping to kind of keep it the same. And if there ever was something developed uh, under this, Overlay district, then it'll be the same as the surrounding area. But does then, that mean like that if the owner of that building mm -hmm. wanted to turn it into a restaurant, that they wouldn't be allowed because no. it's already been zoned for that many units? So what we're doing here is going to be an overlay district. So there's two types of overlays. There's like the more restrictive kind, like uh, aquifer protection overlay. So you have more restrictions for uh, sensitive areas. And then you have the economic development overlays, which are less restrictive. So uh, if I have, if I own a property in that district, then I can choose the base zoning, which is zone business, and I can have restaurants and retail and everything else, or I can choose this MBTA overlay. So I don't have, I'm not restricted to it. It's literally the developers or the homeowner's choice to use it. If you don't want to, you don't have to. It's just an additional option. So it doesn't change anything underneath. So Maria, that what, what's your what's your question again? I guess what I'm trying to understand is like if we if the purple section gets approved as meeting this requirement, mm -hmm. it seems to me that what that would say is that those 
buildings that are owned by someone else mm -hmm. have been zoned to meet this requirement. And so they couldn't tear down a building with a high number of units per acre because then it wouldn't meet the requirement of this law to house as many people that are there currently. And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. I'm just trying to understand what this yep. does to existing structures because it makes a lot more sense when you like zone an empty lot. Like, all right, right. yeah, so, like you can build a bunch of places. But what does that do to the owner of those buildings? And would that create an opposition, you know, by those? I'm sure you've thought this through. I just, I don't yeah. understand so, what that does. Sony treats everything as if it was unbuilt, it does not get what's actually there. If you were to tear down the most dense development and put a restaurant in there, zoning does not care. You still comply because the law is still written. Oh. Yeah. It seems kind of like a loophole almost to like call this. Well, I guess that zoning is just a set of legal options in this case. Uh, so it doesn't matter what actually gets built. As long as it's an option on paper, we're fine, Got we're it. compliant. Okay, just, I'm just, yep, and you yeah. can still do Emily, you're asking the, the basic question a lot of people who are concerned about MBTA communities asking is that the state is requiring us to zone for this, they're not requiring us to build any housing. And all we keep hearing with this is there's a housing crisis and a housing crisis. So, but this may and most likely will not lead to any existing housing. <laughs> And they could sell it to another homeowner or they could sell it to a developer. And, and the developer then could use it. As long as the it. use meets the underlying zoning or the overlaid. Right. Correct. So essentially they have two different zones they can right. choose from. Right. Okay. So you you know, you take this purple district here, uh, you know, if, uh, if somebody theoretically somebody could come in and over 20 years buy up everything in that district and then put the new zoning housing in there that they want right. that would be very expensive right but technically they could do it right they could also go, could they go vertical just straight up no there's a uh, height restrictions yeah so um uh, can you just explain so they so uh montrose is not in there right no that's um so that's the between that's the green is that the green, green area Brook the street, middle, the green street green and, yeah. i believe so um just because it's uh it's a nonprofit. okay no it is so, a nonprofit. sorry it's educational it's extensive so like uh lark uh, not larkins like the uh, what's the other takara uh, and that whole development where takara is that, i believe that's, that's in that's that upper right piece okay mm -hmm. and then oh, oh and then uh on the on the other side of uh, North Street, you've got pretty much everything coming down to 109, um, except for what's that? What's that black? The great piece in the middle there is that the pond? Okay. And the and the sure. It, it, uh, there's a like a cross in the in the middle, a gray cross. You see what I'm talking about? Yeah. It's, yeah. It's it's in the middle of the purple. We see, can, where the, see where that that dot is? Yeah. yeah. To the right. Montrose, yeah, right there. Yeah. No, that's oh. not Montrose. No. Montrose is on the other side. Meeting House Pond. Oh, yeah. oh Meeting House Pond. That's Meeting House Pond. Okay. Okay. And we can pull up the interactive Metfield maps if you would like. No, that's, that's okay. I just want to understand. My my sort of thing I wrote down about this when I first read it mm -hmm. was that this 
um, the Medfield State Health Hospital eligibility is going to be known or not known by the time that we do the vote? So we are not going to go forward with the state hospital because the uh, state has not given us a stance on that. Um, it would be very risky to try to uh, push for it and then have the state deny us. They said that even if it meets the requirements on paper, they can still deny it because it's still publicly owned. Because why? It's publicly owned still. Uh, oh. So if they wanted to, they could so deny they, it. And they, they know they've tried to 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 get a, a positive answer from the state on that, and the state is reluctant to to make an exception, as you can imagine, uh, for. Um, or, or any community, given what's going on with uh, multiple communities around the state fighting fighting this rule. Uh, so well, how is it an exception? Because it's, exception? it's technically um, technically owned by the town. Well, public land is you're not allowed to use. Public you're not allowed land. to put that the, to comply with this law. You can't use public land. Right, but the Trinity stuff doesn't count. It's not sold to Trinity. Yes, mm -hmm. and we have to pass this this year. The zoning has to get passed Well, and the issue is, and this is where we get caught kind of in a, in a catch 22 because we started this Trinity project way before MBTA zoning was a thing. The Trinity project is contingent upon public funding that if we don't pass the MBTA zoning, but we will no longer be eligible for, and the Trinity project will not go forward. So you're catch 22? Yeah. Wow. So it's really, we cannot this. Yeah. And if I can get on my soapbox just for one more minute, what really frustrates me about this is that if we were allowed to use the state hospitals, we are actually building 334 units of apartments and furthering the um, the issue and addressing a housing crisis, especially in this area, by building these units where most of the towns and what you're seeing us propose won't construct them. Mm -hmm. So it's very frustrating, and I, I understand, and we talked repeatedly with the state that they can't make an exception for us because of all of the other towns who are currently in the same process. And once they start to treat one town differently, they'll have to treat all of them differently. And they're holding all of us to the exact same standards. And for those of you who haven't seen, uh, the Attorney General uh, filed suit against Milton today. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 Can you talk about the pink ones? Yes, so this is Methyl Gardens. This Which is in, one, the one on the left or the right? Um, I believe so. On the right, so the right, so right, it's right by Palm Pleasant Street. Yes. Um, oh, yeah. The right is Methyl Gardens, and the left is Metacarmen. Yes. Okay. So, um, the zoning here is residential urban. So this is the only residential zone we have, but we have written the zoning in such a way that the density here will be four point eight units an acre. It's way lower. So you get, get a five unit home at most. So that way the, the contrast here won't be as large if anything gets developed. And these apartments are in relatively good condition um, and already decently dense. So the incentive to redevelop is pretty low in this area. So we have sown it at such a low density taking into consideration that it is a residential district. And because the other districts are at 20 something units an acre, it averages out to 15. And the, the other thing I'll add is that the Meta Comet is uh, is all condo. So mm -hmm. to get back and get control of that, you'd have to buy every single condo. No, they're not all condos, a lot of a lot of condos. Yeah. Uh, 
<sighs> but let me, can I, I just want to try to understand mm -hmm. what, so you're, you talk, you, you mentioned plans for each of these, let's say, potentially each of these non-contiguous three parts, right? So I look, it looks like it adds up to 50, mm -hmm. right? Yep. And so I'm gathering that your the planning board, despite the fact there are more hearings, that they're gravitating towards this as what we will be asked to vote upon here on the ninth and then in town meeting, right? Correct. Okay. And at that time there'll be probably a very extensive document, right? Detailing the parameters yes. that are in this overlay district for will they be the same for each three or will each of these three have its own specific sub rule? Right. So there's multiple ways we can do it. I believe um, because they're not, you can create sub districts. In this case, they're all like separate. So we could create different uh, parameters for each. Um, I, I'm thinking that maybe the residential one might have its own, but we might refrain from, uh, you know, most of this is using the underlying zoning. So we're only want to tweak little things here and there. We want to um, implement design guidelines to make sure that the design is consistent with the area, um, parking requirements, little things like that. But for the most part, we're going to be using whatever is already existing. So the, it won't be a significant. The state allows you to put those kinds of extra strings on it? Yep, that's overlay district. Yeah. But, okay, that's great. But isn't it also the case that I, a developer could still use the 40B process to circumvent all of that? Yeah, right? always. Until we're in safe harbor, yeah. which we're which, 40 which units short. The hospital <laughs> but the process for 40 bees is obviously it's a very uh, thorough, lengthy process for anyone to go through. Um, people might want to choose their by right for profit developments instead of a 40 B, but it will be an option for them to use these parameters. So, what happened in Milton was all the people who lived in the, the, the places that were getting rezoned voted against it. And everybody who was not in those voted for it for the most part. Well, yeah. well also keep in mind, Milton, Milton is an MBTA community. Uh -huh. right. Their yeah. rules are totally different. Than We're them. adjacent. Yes. Mm -hmm. right. They're much stricter. Know, much stricter, much, much more zoning than fifteen hundred. Right. So that's not here or there, but when it's not Milton, but I mean, what does it have to pass with a fifty plus one? So two thirds? What is it? Two thirds. Wow. This is uh, <laughs> sorry, no. I'm sorry, it's simple majority. I'm so sorry. Housing is a, a simple majority vote. Just simple majority? Simple majority, vote? I am sorry. Okay. Yes. The I mean, state changed that. Like, I gave you a heart attack. So see if you're away. 50 plus one. Yes. Right, yep. That's not as bad as two thirds. Yes. Okay. So if you were paying attention. That is a bad additional 16, 17. It's really tough to get. So, um, yeah. If you want to uh, revert back to the presentation, I have more of the density calculations in there. It's a general overview. I mean, but my, you know, my, you know, Bob and I went to this one of these workshops they had, and we sat, we sat at the same table, and there were like six different, seven different tables, uh -huh. and there were six or seven different solutions. Yeah, well, there's and only they, one vote, and they were right. all. Some of them were like I suggested. Let's let's embrace what yeah, the FDK yeah, yeah. wants to do. Let's pick empty lots. And I mean, it was it was interesting, uh, but I'm happy that they've come to this. You know, well, the, the solution we thought was the best was 
this something like this where there's minimal impact to existing housing in town um, and taking advantage of where the density is today uh, because as you can imagine getting you know if you if you if you pick one big lot you upset people in in that neighborhood right yes um, uh, it's, so. So it's a it's a bit of a uh, you know, like I said, the Rubik's Cube to navigate there. Yeah, that's going to be a difficult conversation. Yeah. Well, but I think, like, Christine made a really good point that I think we have a, we have a good, I don't want to say out, but we have a good story to tell that we as a town passed the hospital and we are building places there. So it's yeah. not like, you know, I know I said the, well, the <laughs> word that I got, let me say. An eyeball about earlier, but I wasn't like I just meant that to call this like it is because that's how I yeah. talk. Yeah. But like yeah. it's not like we're just like completely shutting people out of the town. Like we yeah. are doing that, and right. that had a lot of the right. same, um, you know, I don't know what word I'm looking for, but the same um, idea behind it. You know, mm -hmm. the same end result. And yeah, it's not wise to like. Have the population increase a ton? I don't. I think we can probably all agree on that. But, so, so the people that are against it for the reasons that we're not going with the spirit of the law, we can say that we have that. Right. And not something that we did. That's just that a timing. Kind of timing. Time yes. Oh, but alternately, we set ourselves up to have twice as much multifamily home housing as the law even asked for. But Be we're not really because because we have a these... we have a state hospital that doesn't count. If we're walk, we're like sleepwalking into two. Yeah, but, but so keep that in mind, we, 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 we like thought that was the best solution. Right. I know, I thought it was a without, solution without, yeah. you know, this. this I'm just saying that's a, uh, an opinion. Right? Right. We had that, we had but, to deal with that, that yeah. liability somehow. Right. right, so. But we can make a statement, I think, and I'm, I'm new here, so I, maybe you can correct me, but like in our opinion about this article, specific as is an article, that we, we aren't doing what you're saying. We would be doing what you're saying if we had, if um, Maria had zoned a empty lot, and then we were double dipping or whatever you want to call it. But that is not what this is. So that opinion that you're saying, I okay. I don't know who would have that because it doesn't make any sense to me. But okay, but you know, interesting. You disagree, but That's I don't I don't see what you're saying. The planning board has been yeah, like that spot way to approach it. Yeah, the has been very careful, and they of course have more uh, knowledge of metal than I do, being only being pretty new here. But they have looked at individual parcels, uh, the state of those developments when they were built, uh, if they were condos or not. They have taken all of the factors into consideration to minimize future impacts, and they've also taken into consideration. Uh, traffic. That's why most of our district are located in the downtown is yeah. so people can actually walk to restaurants and not have to drive in and take up the already congested or you know, limited parking spaces there. Um, a lot of the results in the workshop were let's let's zone around town and have um, you know near Walpole, near this, near that, but then everyone will have to drive in for the to support local businesses in the downtown. And that's what the planning board wanted to avoid, which is why it's pretty um, centralized there. So they really put a lot of uh, thought into this. Yes. On the, the last line there, the density per acre. Mm -hmm. So if I understand what you were saying, particularly with regard just most recently about medical gardens parcel there, you were saying that you, there was, the, the language would be written such that 
the max density per acre would be set at 4.8. Did I hear you correctly say? And, and likewise, for the other two areas at 21 and a half or? Yeah, so this is plugging in, uh, not that we're going to say 4.8 and no more, right? It's the, the you're putting in the certain high, certain lot coverage, certain setbacks, mm -hmm. that this is what uh, the calculator that the state gave us has uh, resulted in. Okay. So you can go up to 4.8. A site may be very ledgy or very wet, and you can only really put three, then you get three. Okay. The so, 4.8 is like the worst case. And then, so then you just a simple multiplication gives you the, the next to last line, which is the number of potential units that could be there under the, are, do we have a target for that number? Yes, so we have to meet uh, 750 so, hypothetical units, right. um, out of which this would give us 807. The state has uh, been being very watchful of what you zone and questioning certain parcels and their developability. So we want to have a little bit of a buffer in case they come back with something. So the state has already looked at this. No, this not yet. Not nothing. They've met. Okay. Because we need to submit. Um, we're in the process of choosing a district. Then we need to write the zoning. Then we can send something into the state for preliminary review. But um, most likely they'll review it when we submit it at town meeting. The, the timeline is very uh so you have to get it approved by the state prior to town meeting. No, it's town meeting approves it, but then EOHLC. And then they could reject it, the state, and yeah. say we don't like the way you're doing it. They could, but I think this meets all of the criteria. I okay. think this is a very safe option, and then our consultant thinks so as well. Good. And I think Maria, correct me if I'm wrong, we are in interim compliance until December yes. of 2024. So if for whatever reason this failed at town meeting, it gives us a little buffer of time to bring something back again um, before that interim compliance expires. Yes. That's our can I we just have a, somebody that raised their hand. Sure. Online. So um, uh, John Christo. I'm gonna allow you to talk if you can unmute yourself thank you very much so I'm to this. can you hear me yeah could you give us your address john christos stewart street medfield thank you um i'd like to know what the difference is between an adjacent community where medfield has to zone for 750 additional units versus an adjacent small community that Dover has next door in a budding town. So um, the requirements for adjacent small communities are less. Um, the amount of units that they have to hypothetically produce is also less. Uh, it just adjusts to the number of uh, year-round housing units that they have. Say that one more time. So it's if it's a small community, then it's depending on the number of year-round units that the community has. So they wouldn't have 750 units as a blanket statement. They will have a lesser number because they're a smaller community. What's a year-round unit versus a... Um, not really an issue in Medfield because we're not a Cape yeah. Cod. So basically every unit here will be a year-round unit. So, so how many would, houses... So it's so over though, right? Yes. Okay. But would Dover have been they're not close to any MBTA or close to anything. Are they, do they have to abide by this as well? I believe so. I think they're the small town. I think they were 110 units versus 750 yeah. for Medfield. That's not too equitable. Yes. <laughs> well, that's because if the formulas for them are actually on the state website, if you would like to take a look at them. I did um, look at it. Sorry? 
I looked at it and I saw 110 versus 750. Mm -hmm. so has any has any analysis been done, uh, Maria, on the impact that 750 additional units will have on our school systems, police, fire, water infrastructure? So it will not be 750 additional units because there's already existing units in those sites. So it would be an incremental change, not a, you know, add 750. And I, I think that for schools that I, you know, if you want to send me an email, I'm happy to send you some studies that the region has done of uh, the last five fiscal years, uh, 300 school districts, there is no uh, tangible or significant financial impact or correlation between more housing and more school enrollments. There's different factors that affect that and not necessarily more housing production. So you're so telling example, me that uh, <laughs> you're telling me if you increase our housing production by 750 units, most likely I'm guessing that's 2,000 additional people that won't have any impact on our property taxes so, on the so police. John, John, take for example, John, take for example, the on the on the screen the park. Okay, that that complex has I don't know how many units, but there's already. It's a it's a apartment complex, right? So you know I don't know maybe there's 140 units there already. The zoning is maybe going up by 10. So there's only an increment of 10 units. That's so you know you have to take into account the existing housing in each of these sub districts. Correct. There's stuff already there. So you're you're really looking at redevelopment of properties, which takes a long, long time to come into fruition. And most of these sites chosen, like I said, are already developed or pretty new and are not likely to be developed anytime soon. We've also tried to match the density to what's existing. I think the park has a density of 10 units an acre. So it's already pretty high. It's already very close to compliance. So yeah. the mm. incentive to redevelop that is very low. So mm. I have uh, family and friends in Milton and you talked about density um, and you talked about abutting sites and so forth. In Milton, they could go go into a cul-de-sac that's you know close to a train station and buy one house and then the developer could be incentivized to buy the house next door, knock both down and subsequently build an 18 unit apartment complex. Would that be possible? What, I can't. I wish you wouldn't interrupt me. What's your name? I'm sorry, John. It's, it's nobody here. It's the police station that's making an announcement. So okay. we're having our meeting at the public safety building. So just bear with us. Okay, now it's over. So could that um, happen, Maria, in Medfield? John, I'll let Maria answer this, but we don't want to get into a long discussion about Milton's uh, issues. Uh, you know, we're we're talking about our own our own article here tonight. So uh, the the rules. I mean, what's your name, sir? Steve Callahan. Steve, I think the rules are applicable to both towns in terms of density and development. Yes, but but we're not voting on Milton's problem. No, but I'm asking a question: If they could conceivably buy one house, say on Pleasant Street or Miller Street. And buy the a, a budding house next door, a developer, and then build a a sizable eighteen unit apartment building. 
So we cannot control who decides to sell their homes. That will be up to the individual property owners. If the residents or business owners are willing to sell to the developer, then yes, that's the same as everything really. Uh, we cannot control uh, private transactions. And they would still need to comply with our existing dimension requirements, which would again cap density at a certain level. They would need to uh, comply with our design guidelines. There will be certain standards that need to be met. But any any developer can buy any private property mm -hmm. um, at any time and develop in accordance with the zoning. Or yeah. 40B. Or 40B. Or 40B. Yeah. Or 40B. So does that answer your question? Well, it's it's a trump card for a developer to you know uh, buy in one of those uh, areas that's dense, and they could you know put up additional housing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's right. <laughs> it's a huge. Well, it takes you know? a willing seller and a willing buyer. It takes yeah, two. But... People might not be willing to sell. Yeah, but anyway, that's what it's zoned for, and so that's the intent of the zone. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's that. All zoning works that way, though. I mean. Um, Okay, so um, I think we answered your question, and I think we're going to move on. Okay. Uh, we can move on to the next slide. Uh, huh. Start to the next steps. <laughs> so, if you're interested in providing input, I highly encourage you to join one of our regularly scheduled meetings. The planning board and select board are still actively meeting. Our next one is tomorrow night at seven thirty. We're going to be finalizing the potential MBTA district locations. It's important that we choose the locations by tomorrow night because we need to start moving on to writing the design guidelines for this districts. So um, the link to, uh, you can find a copy of the mirroring materials here in the PowerPoint. You can also go to the agenda center. Our next meeting on this topic specifically is gonna be March 18 at 7.30. It's gonna be an in-person public uh, workshop at the public safety building. Uh, this will be which our consultant will walk us through the districts that we've chosen and the draft design guidelines and dimensional requirements that we will have. The next one after that is March 28th at 7.30 p.m. This is the first planning board hearing advertising the bylaw change. It will be continued on to April 1st for the second planning board hearing. April 8th is when our warrant language is due for printing. May 6th is our town meeting, which gives us a little bit of a buffer for EOHLC to take a look at our zoning and hopefully approve it in time for our December 31st, 2024 compliance deadline. And we do have that buffer so that if anything were to happen, we need to revisit our zoning, we could potentially call an emergency um, fall town meeting, get everything buttoned up real quick and submit again, and we would still be- So any, any uh, resident could go to your public here, yes. you're having two of them, and ask questions and get answers from the planning board and yourself. Yes, correct. So the one tomorrow um, is obviously the closest one. The link is already posted, so you can get it on your calendars. And they can attend those hybrid links too, like over Zoom? The one tomorrow is entirely, yeah, it's only Zoom. Only Zoom. Only Zoom. The one on March 18th is going to be in person. You can listen in hybridly, but if you want to participate, it's really better if you're here in person. And the other uh, first and second planning board hearings are entirely on Zoom. I was one question I had was I was expecting that it was just going to be up in a more of a commercial area that's already commercially zoned. We just flip it into this zoning. I was surprised that some of the commercial areas like up by sort of Willis Avenue and Sluggers Academy and up that way was sort of not considered. 
So the reason for that is that one of the select board goals is to have 10% of our revenue come from non-residential sources. So we're trying to protect our existing commercial as much as possible. The next year, the planning board is hoping to pass a mixed-use overlay district to try to, you know, you can still have multifamily, but there's also a business component. So we're trying not to cannibalize our businesses with housing. Plus, you, yeah, which, you know, when you do that, uh, let's say it's owned by one owner, that, that whole mm -hmm. place you just mentioned, I don't know, to say it is, I don't know if it is, but say it was one owner of it, Look just like that, and you could have a you know, yeah, I mean, an entire plaza, you know, uh, as opposed to like a metacommon situation where there's already housing there. We're not, you're not, you're not increasing. I was uh, just surprised by that. Drastically, the housing, you know, with this approach. That's why I like it. It's, you know, and, and you know, it's it's um, taking advantage of where we have existing. High density housing. Correct. Not, not overly embracing the spirit of this of this uh, law and creating lots of new housing. Cautiously compliant. Yeah. Very well said. Yeah. Um, we do know if, say, two years from now. Has the state given any guidance as to say, let's say we decide, well, you know, we made a mistake with this and we want to change one small component of this and we want to go back to town meeting and maybe swap a, a district. Would we have to go through that whole review process with the state again? Or did, do they allow for small or do they not know yet because this is so early? I don't think they have um, issued any guidelines on that yet. I expect it to be the same process, same as any zoning change, the AG's office still needs to review it. So I think it'll be kind of like a joint process, but we're, we can certainly revisit this if we find it's not working out, as long as we need the three components for uh, compliance. How about questions from committee? Anyone else have questions? Is this your last slide? Or? I believe so. Okay. I mean, what do you, what do people think? You in there? Do you, uh, I mean, we'll have another shot at this again. Well, I, I would just say that you know, we did uh, we did the um, what was it called the inclusive housing? Well, the thing where you inclusionary zoning. Yeah, we did that a few years ago, right? And it, 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 at the time, meeting did require some explanation. Will, will you be there to explain, or are you expecting us to do it? No, there will be our consultant will be there. Okay, yes, and that's good. And, and because it's a zoning article, the planning board would be required to report on it as well. Okay. Yes, there'll, there'll be, be plenty of documentation and people's I mean, we'll, help. We'll have a report, obviously, but the, the bulk of the presentation will you know, be done by then. Do we think we need like a <laughs> contingency plan or a fallback plan or a, a uh, this is what this is going to cost us if uh, you guys don't vote for it? I feel like that's it's a little bit like do you like this plan or not? And yeah. like, boo, I hate it. But if you say, well, it's going to cost us $10 million a year, if you say no. Yeah. No, know, I, I definitely feel, think that that's I just think that, like, what is the cost of a no might be a, a yeah. useful guideline. Because right. I don't know what it is. Right, right. No, mm -hmm. I, think, I think that's All the well, grants that we lose. I yeah. think, I think well, that's a good point, is that there yeah. needs to be part of the, whoever does the presentation, that there needs to be a discussion of what's the implication of a no vote. 
Yeah, at least $10 million a year and losing the state hospital redevelopment. I think you're going to lose your, what is your um, your school MSBA? That's going to go out the window too. Yeah. So there's a, we should have an itemized, like, all this goes sideways if all this, <laughs> on door number one, we have these things. <laughs> door number two, I mean, just to be transparent, right? So it's like the cost yeah. of no is a little bit more transparent. Well, it's that's true. And it, it's going to be hard to calculate some of that because if we off the bat, lose our math or funding, which means the Trinity project, we can't do the public infrastructure right. and Trinity will most likely walk. I don't want to speak right. for them, but yeah. this project is contingent upon the public infrastructure. If we lose that, we then have at least a $25 million liability in the buildings that are up at the state hospital. Yeah. We would need assistance through grant funding to From be able to do something right. with that, and we would no longer be eligible. So it's... It, it, well, that's all I'm saying. Yeah, we should I mean, outline those no, things. No, yeah, we have yeah, I think honestly, the planning board has done an excellent job picking districts that again, uh, comply, but are minimally impactful to the town. Um, and if you have any additional concerns, you can always, uh, email me or, I can let you know in upcoming meetings. I'll be very happy to keep you in the loop uh, if you'd like to participate. Yeah, I, I think you're, you know, you you got, you know, I can tell you, you recognized early on this needed a lot of outreach and communication. And so I would just encourage you to do as much of that as you can. Yes. Because uh, it's, unfortunately, it's gotten very political around the state. And mm -hmm. People just read stuff and they don't, they don't necessarily know the details of their particular situation. <clears throat> Uh, yes. Um, so it, it will get reactive. Yeah, I didn't know until today that the state hospital wasn't going to be approved prior to the bill. I thought that was yeah, uh, that was news to me. Yeah, we're doing extensive public outreach. Um, when the time for the public hearings come, I will be emailing uh, every about within 300 feet of all of those districts. I think it's going to be over like a thousand mailers, honestly. Uh, it's going to be a lot. It's going to be advertised on TV, um, posting on every public building. Um, Chris is helping me on her blog. Sorry. Every, 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 every house in Medfield should get a flyer explaining. So they will for a town meeting. For town meeting. But right. these are mailers to the hearings because it oh, affects only six, um, specific right. areas. Right. It's 300 feet from there. For the public hearing, um, and again, OB advertises as much as I can. The mailers will come uh, to every house when the warrant is printed. Okay. Are we all set with Maria? Thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you. I think just a real quick, we have very minor things to, to, to we've gone over our nine o'clock limit. I apologize, but um, I know uh, Brent couldn't make it to the, the capital budget committee. I did go, I did attend, uh, and uh, just to listen in, and they um, they basically, uh, they had a number of agenda items, um, and um, I think the biggest one was that they they uh, moved forward the, uh, uh, the, the uh, item on um, the, uh, Parking lot, the McCarthy parking lot. They moved that forward from 26 to 25. So when they submit that capital budget, final capital budget, that will be in there. And uh, but that is being funded by the 
with Parker and Rack Lavaldo. And um, the tennis courts, um, I think they approved an additional $30,000 because of the cut in the state funding for that. They had an earmark that got cut. So they needed to, in order to keep that, to keep the part that they didn't cut, take advantage of that and move that project forward, they, they needed to uh, keep it on schedule. And so they came up with uh, 30,000 from the capital project. They got me the, the um, MS, did that come on municipal building stabilization? Uh, I think it was capital stabilization. Capital stabilization. Revolving, yeah. Is that the um metacomet? That's the or? lighting, the lighting at metacomet ten sports. And they did approve funding the Tri-County New Building School Cost out of the Municipal Building Stabilization Fund. And so that's like a $6,000, first, the first year it's 6,000, and I think it's around 20,000 a year after that. Uh, so that, that will come out of the Municipal Stabilization Fund. Those are the big items. Um, anything you wanted to update us on, Christine? No, I think that's that covers pretty much everything. Okay. I will entertain a motion to adjourn unless there's anything else. So moved. Second. All in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed?